to Next Planet Over, our podcast devoted to sci-fi, fantasy, and horror TV shows. I'm your host, Michael, and this episode will be discussing The Flash, the 1990s series with my guest, Josh Ridgway. How's it going, Josh? Hey, how you doing, guys? Uh, it, this, I, I like the new series, but this one was extremely important to me because it finally captured that essence of the comic book where, like a previous series, there just wasn't enough budget to get that idea across was that something that captured your imagination oh absolutely yeah um you know i I wasn't all that familiar with the flash um when the tv series came out i guess i guess i was probably in fifth or sixth grade when the when the 1990 show came out and um i remember it so vividly because um all my friends were talking about it in school and, uh, and, you know, this is right off of the, uh, the Michael Keaton Batman that we were all obsessed with. Mm-hmm. So, um, everybody talked about it and I think it came on a Thursday night and I had a big history test the next day and I ended up watching that entire two hour pilot and, you know, ended up, and even recorded it. But, um, I, I remember that I failed that test <laughs> the <next> day. <laughs> and I got in a lot of trouble for it. <laughs> so, so like the next two weeks, um, I, I wasn't able to watch The Flash. Um, my mom, you know, this was back in the days you could record off of VHS. Right. I mean, she ended up re- recording the episodes for me, but um, but yeah, I got in a lot of a lot of hot water for that. But um, I was just blown away. Uh, I was just blown away by it, um, and it kind of just became my new. Because you know, back in those days, you know, you didn't have a big superhero tentpole coming out every week. No, no. You know, um, I mean, really, you had Christopher Reeve Superman, you had Michael Keaton Batman, and then you had some various TV shows. Right. Um, I think we had a lot of comic strip adaptations. I think that's what people confuse, is that they think Superman was part of that wave, and I'm like, if you look back there, the only thing that was similar was like, you know, Popeye and Flash Gordon, Brenda Starr, uh, um, what's the other one? Dick Tracy. You know that was just a couple months prior to the Flash premiering, but all those were comic and strips. and the Rocketeer. Yeah, the Rocketeer hadn't come out yet though, but that, that's that was ninety one. Yeah, that was ninety one, right? Yeah, from yeah. the same guys. The guys who developed this did Rocketeer. Yeah, same as guys well. who did the Flash. Yeah, yeah. You know what's um, funny is that which I think I look back you know. on Danny Bilson and Paul DeMio, and if you look at all the movies they did for Empire Pictures, those are basically comic books. Oh yeah, you know the Eliminators, um, Zone Troopers. I mean, they they were you know they 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 got into it in a great time because you know they were able to um, execute their 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 comic book esque uh, visions onto the screen with semi decent budgets. Um, you know, it's very hard to do that these days. So, um, and I think and I think if I'm not mistaken. You know, once they kind of they decided to kind of wing out of the business, and they ended up going into video games because they felt there was more creativity uh, to be gained, you know, in that world. Uh-huh. So, um, I, I think I, I want to say like Viper and the last the the, the Soldier of Fortune were their last 
kind of TV runs that they created. Did they? They did a show. I want to call it the. I think it's called the Sentinel, where it had Richard Burgey and he had like these heightened senses. And uh... I'm sorry, the Sentinel, not Soldier. Okay, Fortune. yeah. I was, I was confusing the two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they made a lot of money because back then, syndicated TV, holy crap, you could score big, and they used. Yeah, they they had more creative control over syndicated TV shows. And uh-huh. um, mind you, both of those Viper and uh, Sentinel started off as network shows, and you know, yeah, yeah, they did the video games. I know they wrote comic books for a little while, and I can't remember which one passed away. I think we lost Paul DeMio. Paul DeMio, yeah, he died recently. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah, but for a couple um, decades there, they were giving us the comic book entertainment that the main studios would not get near. Not at all. Not at all. And, you know, Viper was, you know, it, the first season was, was Network NBC, and then they re, re, uh, they rebooted it for syndication, and they replaced the, the main act. I think they, well, I think they replaced most of the actors. Yeah. But then it went on for another three or four seasons of syndication, and it was actually a very fun show. Um, you know, it was, it was in that comic book uh, kind of world, and they actually did comic books based on that as well. I remember that, yeah. So... Um, yeah, they too, they right? were really, um, really they were they were really diamonds in the rough. You know, those two guys um, together, uh, they 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 were a creative force, and I I really wish we had uh, we had gotten more out of them. Totally, yeah. yeah. You kind of look at their IMDb, and you're like, oh, we were denied a decade. And, and the weird thing is, maybe it's because they were kind of seen as financial losses because i don't recall the empire picture movies making a ton of money like i think transfers are really their only solid hit um and the flash was very expensive didn't last uh what i think it lasted 20 episodes and then the rocketeer was one of those break-even kind of movies so i i don't know why i think they're huge idea people and the studio should have embraced them better i think that during that time um they those properties just weren't as respected as they are now, um, you know, the comic book world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and today you don't have Empire Pictures. Um, I, I, bel- I want to say they, they, they had some movie, and may- maybe they weren't involved in this, but there was, I think there was some movie planned that was Empire Pictures. It was called Decapitron. Huh. And I think Charles Band Charles Band was involved, but it was kind of a RoboCop type thing. Okay. And I want to say they were they were involved in, in that as well, and they, they have a poster for it. And um, I guess I guess the funding fell through or something, and they ended up using that character in the Puppet Master. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, I guess they had already built the model or something. I don't know. I, I, I may be I may be off on, on this, yeah. but um, but you know they they had a lot of outlets that they could that they could use for for that stuff. But um, but yeah, I mean just I mean short lived careers, but I mean you know. I mean, it's all relative, but... Um, okay, so, yeah, in Hollywood, I, short-lived careers can be five years. They went, what, 20, 25 years? Uh, yeah, yeah, because, well, was, yeah, because because Zone Troopers and Eliminators and... Um, I, I want to... Those were in the 80s, right? Yeah, 85, 86? Yeah, okay, so they were around for quite a long time. They were around until the end of the 90s, right? yeah. I mean, of course, they were smart enough to pivot. When when the industry changed for them, they, they you know they found a new way. Like you said, in video games and comic books, they moved on. And I think this is like that short period where they were kind of legit because Empire Pictures was always seen as like a, almost like a grade C. Uh, they had mm-hmm. okay budgets, you know, like doing a couple million dollar budgets. But you know, working with Warner Brothers and Disney, this is when they went legit. 
and you really see their heart in all that work. Rocketeer, to this day, is still my favorite comic book movie. Oh, it's a beautiful film, and you know, again, they they, they just had this way of of bringing this. I don't know. They, they they just had a way of creating such a unique and cozy world that had their own unique touch about it. Right. You know, and, and I can't even explain it. Um, you know, when I watched, I mean, I I watched The Flash probably, you know, at least once or twice a year. I mean, it's just. I mean, to the day, it's still it's still um, kind of brings back that you know that magic you know that I that I used to feel when I watched it. Um, but today I look at it so differently because I see all the influences and, you know, really kind of what they were going for mm-hmm. in the sense that this, I mean, it was, it was pulp, you know. Oh, totally. And, and they were really um, pushing the boundaries of what you could achieve on television. Absolutely. I mean, it, it really was. I mean, I, I don't believe Batman the Animated Series would even exist without The Flash, you know. Yeah. Because... You know, they they tried to do, you know they 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 did the, the tone, you know it was a serious tone. It wasn't just pure camp. Right. See, I look back on the '89 Batman and I see a lot of camp in there, and I kind of cringe a little bit. There's great stuff. There's also some stuff I'm like, oof. You know, they're kind of looking. I feel like Tim Burton did not respect the genre, whereas Demio and Bilson loved it, and they never for a moment in the series disrespected. Now, I think some studio meddling or network meddling came into it. If you notice the first half of the series, there's hardly any comic book villains. And it's a little strange. You're like, come on, just get to where we need to. And all of a sudden, the second half is just like, all right, let's just let go and give them what they want. That's when you get like the Trickster and Captain Cold. Um, I don't Deadly Nightshade or the Nightshade. And, yeah, and I don't that. think that's actually part of the comic book. I think the Ghost and Nightshade are their whole new creation. And it's one of like favorite characters. I think it's a two or three parter and I really yeah. loved it. Yeah, the Nightshade, I mean I, I was I mean that's that's a series I'd like to see on his own. Yeah, it know? looks like it could have been a part of the JSA if they were to ever bring that to television. Yeah, but I think you're right. I don't I don't think those were comic book based characters. Um but you know the the whole the whole um I mean Amanda Pays was 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 brilliant, you know, she was beautiful and um um, Alex, Alex, uh, Dysart, Dysart, is that his name? Yeah, I never said um, it wrong. I always say Alex, Alex Dessert is what I said for the long, longest yeah, time, but I appreciate that's wrong. Means, like Alex Dessert. Um, but he, you know, he was great as Julio, and, um, I loved how Emmett Walsh was, was his dad, was Barry Allen's dad. Yeah. Tim Thomerson was his brother. Um, you know, you had, you had all those, uh, all those character actors, you know, showing it, you know, showing up in on and off during the season. And of course, you know, Mark Campbell is the trickster and, um, you know, Brian Cranston was even on it. Yeah. I was trying to remember who I saw in that. I was like somebody right before they really broke out. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Cranston, just as you were saying that. Yeah. Brian Cranston and, uh, Jonathan Brandis, you know, was, was, yeah. Did you see Mark is like in a minute of one of the episodes, like the first couple minutes? No, he's a guest star on one of the, one of the shows. Um, uh, they, they play, he plays an orphan who kind of uh, he's he's on a wrong path, and Barry Allen kind of takes him under his wing. And yeah, oh, Brandis, and, okay, and it's yeah. funny because yeah. around that time, I guess he and John Wesley Shipp both also did uh, the sequel to The Neverending Story, which came out in theaters. Which technically um, is still going by those rules. That story is still going. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, yeah, the never-ending story, yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, like, like I said, it, it, I think there's only one other show that just will, will forever hold a place in my heart that, that you'll just never get ever again is um, Briscoe County Jr. And I oh, think yeah, yeah, because it was Flash... a very spirit. You know, I, I hold on to Briscoe County near and dear to my heart because those, like The Flash, those were uh, things I had recorded. I didn't get all of yep. them. I just had certain bits and pieces I had recorded, and I would watch them over and over until the tapes wore out. I did not remember that Briscoe County Jr. dropped the sci-fi aspect halfway through the series. And the second half yeah. is nowhere nearly as good. No, because they killed off John Bly. Yeah, and they, when they ditched the whole sci-fi element, you think they would have kept a little bit of it with new characters or new villains, and it just, they kind of dump it. Yeah, and then, and you know, but then by the end, you know, they're bringing in the Zeppelin, and they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, um, yeah, because I guess they did a kind of a martial arts ninja episode. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, kind of a, um, that's true. I mean, they well, they definitely did switch gears because they both then they both became uh, government agents, and they, you know, I mean, they they definitely, you know, again, just like the Flash, um, you know, on the Flash, I guess this had it gone another season, um, uh, the opening episode was going to be all the villains escaped Iron Heights prison. So it would have been the trickster, Captain Cold, the ghost, or who it would have been a handful of the villains from season one and, and the flash would have been, um, up against all of them. That was supposed to be kind of the two part season. Yeah, opener. It's rogues gallery, like the way it is in the comics, which is always the greatest way to, I'm, I'm a huge, like you said, um, you didn't really know much about The Flash. I didn't discover The Flash until this TV show. I mean, I knew of him from, like, Super Friends, but I never yeah. read the comic book. I was never a DC guy. I was always a Marvel guy. And uh, I just heard that that was the big thing for years. They were building up Wally West world with all of these um, villains, and they were going to make them the Rose Gallery and take them all, all at once. And I was just like, that's such a long time to build that up. It's kind of cool that they were trying to do that with the show. Absolutely, and and you know who who knows uh, what we would have gotten, but um, you know I, I talked to John about uh, John uh, Wesley Ship about this, and um, you know he said that uh, they 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 just you know they they were going they planned on doing another season, but the studio was cutting their budget, and I guess. Um, Danny Bilson and, and Paul Paul uh, DeMeo, uh, they they just didn't want to do that. They didn't want the the show to suffer, and you you know they they didn't want to have to use a bunch of stock special effects footage and yeah, which killed and, a lot uh, of shows. It really killed V when they started reusing the same shots over and over. Yeah, I mean you know, look at you look at Airwolf season four. I mean my God, <laughs> oh, it's God. Like, it's like why even bother? Yeah, Battlestar Battlestar um, Galactica 1980. Nope, no, stop it. <laughs> And at some point, you know, sometimes I'm like, God, it just would have been amazing to have something. But I'm, I'm kind of glad they at least ended on the note they did because over time it became such a cult phenomenon. Yeah. You know. Well, this is um, one of the first. But it's I the feel same bad. thing with, you know, I mean. I feel bad for saying this, but this is one of the very first series I bought bootleg on VHS like 15, 16 years ago. Um, back when you just could not find. There was oh, no yeah. YouTube. There was no uh, real DVDs of anything. And I bought the crappiest quality VHS tapes just so I could watch it again. 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 um, I think I, I finally found a, I mean, I think back in, gosh, I think it was 97 or 98, I found a, a bootleg VHS uh, uh, set. And I, I paid a lot of money for it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like I just, you know, like you, I only had certain episodes on tape. And then, they, you know, they did release, I guess, a few episodes. Um, the pilot on, and I think the Trickster double feature are the only ones they released. Yeah, on yeah they, they, they sold them like they were films, but they were actually just two-part episodes. Um, but, yeah, you know, just but just like that, you know, just like Briscoe County Jr., you know, the season two opened. I mean, it was it – was, they had – essentially the same issues and i always you know they were both filmed on the warner brothers back lot and and they had the same issue with season two is you know uh the the show was just so expensive to film so but but during a a panel at comic-con um which i i got to i got to see uh julius carey and bruce campbell and all of them do their you know final panel before julius carey died yeah and um, they talked about what the season opener would have been, and oh. it would have been uh, Briscoe County and Dixie Cousins had moved off to a small town, and he was he was the sheriff, and they were married, and a new threat sort of arrived, you know. So they were going to tie to down to one location to keep costs down. Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. So it's just interesting, you know, but I but I, I can't help but to think in an alternate universe what, what it would have been like, you know. And um but to but literally, you know, to the day, you know, a show like The Flash, the nineteen ninety Flash and then, you know, Bruce, I mean you you're just you're never gonna get that again. No. Well I mean, know, just, and, like you, you said there was a Batman influence. We have a Danny Elfman score, Shirley Walker was doing the um or, you know, Danny Elfman did the theme, Shirley Walker did the score, and of course, like you said, uh she was part of the Batman animated series. A lot of these elements go over there. The, the neo noir, you know, the retro futurism kind of look, and yep. and yep. Uh, the costume, um, I think, is a much better costume than the '89 Batman. Stan Winston designed this thing to just give it so much texture and and a visual style. It changed the look of the character in the comics too. Issue 50, I believe, is when they officially changed his old school costume, which was kind of like a crayon red to that meaty, dark, layered look of the TV show. And that stayed for, I think they still use it now. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, 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 what I love so much about it is, I mean, you had your relationships between Barry Allen and Tina, but you, you had plenty of the flash. And I, and I think one of my, and I'm not knocking the new Flash show. I, I think, especially season one, was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think it's great that they brought in, they brought in obviously John Wesley Ship, you know, to throughout the seasons and as different characters. And I, I love how they brought back Amanda Pays and I, um, you know, Alex, uh, whatever we decided his last name is, yeah. or Alex. We'll call him Alex Desert. Okay, that works. <laughs> Medium ground. <laughs> Um, you know, he played the captain, the police captain in the alternate, uh, Oh, that's alternate cool. Yeah, Earth. I've only made it to season two. I'm really behind. Season two, yeah. And so, you know, of course, they brought Mark Hamill back as the trickster. And, um, and, and as great of a show, um, I mean, it's, it's had, I mean, I, I thought the, the last season really had a lot of problems. And, and um, you know, they've, 
they've gotten to a point where there's so many of them. You know, they're just they're they're this one big team, and it's it's very soapy. You know, it's very um, Dawson's Creek with costumes. What's that? Is it like Dawson's Creek with costumes? It's Dawson. It's Dawson's Creek with costumes, Ugh. and that's what it's become. And it's not about just the Flash per se anymore. I mean, there there are episodes where you can go through you know an entire episode and you see the Flash in costume maybe once. You know. Yeah. And what I loved about the old show is, man, they utilized that. Oh yeah, they never denied <laughs> you. It's like we paid for this. We're using this. Yeah, yeah, they never denied you uh, the Flash doing his thing, and um, you know, and 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 I think that's that's. I mean, I, I think I don't mind uh, 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 Grant as the Flash. I think he's he's definitely a different choice. He's probably more in tune. I mean, I'm guessing he's he's more uh, in tune with the comic books. Am I wrong? Yeah. Well, that? I then, the, I've always thought Barry Allen was kind of boring because he was a goody two-shoes or Wally West was more complicated. They've, they've never really attempted... It's really surprising they even had John Wesley Ship play um, <coughs> Barry Allen because he's more of a Wally West. And plus, that was a character that was popular at the time because Barry had been dead for four years. But, you know, you go with the origin story and for some reason, if you can't keep the main actor, you have a backup. But, um... I, 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 somehow Grant just feels more Wally than Barry Allen. And, uh... The one thing they never got right with him in the comic books is Barry's a runner, so he's going to burn calories like crazy, which they show um, in the series. I don't buy that he's a big muscle-bound guy like Batman or anything like that because he doesn't. he's burning too much in order to build that muscle. He's going to be really sinewy and lean, and that's one thing I've never understood why they, why they do that in the comic books. So I'll give Grant that. He looks like a runner. Yeah, and, and and see that's what I loved about the Flash was uh, how 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 uh, how bowed up John Wesley Ship was and how bulky he was in the costume. I think that's what really worked for me. Yeah, it was know? hard back then. You you didn't have guys who were um, who had acting talent and were also strong. <laughs> Usually, if this yeah. is the era of the muscle bound, uh, you know, guys like uh, Dolph Lundgren and Stallone and stuff like that, and not necessarily known for great acting. And then you had guys like Christopher Reeve, who ugh, he, I love him, and I think he's fantastic as Superman. But there are times I'm like, oh, he doesn't look like what I thought Superman would look like. You know, just not enough muscle. Yeah, I mean, he he was very tall and, and lean, but um, yeah, I mean, there, there there were no muscles on 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 that version of Superman, and and that's what I thought was so cool about the Flash. I mean, John was a ship man. He was, he, I mean, God, he was he was a bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, he, he I mean, that's not padding, is it? It's it's just a thick costume, but there's no like muscle. No, and it. and it's I mean that he he talked about uh, obviously when I say I talked to him, uh, you know he was in my film uh, the, the the sector, my first film, and um, and so but between takes we you know we would we would talk about this and that, and we talked about the Flash, and um, you know he said that suit was very uncomfortable, for starters, and. Um, he said he would sweat so much. Oh man, that um, costume must have stunk you know. so bad. Well, and you know, he he said when when he would pull off the gloves, literally, like just mounds of sweat would just pour out of those gloves. Oh. And he said every time they fin he finished using it, they would just drench it in Lysol. And um, so that was kind of an. I was like, huh, I never thought about it that way. 
<laughs> yeah, well, there's no oxygen. You know? There's no holes or anything like that. You'd think that they would make some sort of ventilation like where the camera would pick it up. But, you know, back then, of course, costume technology is so different. Yeah, and they would never do that on a series today. They would just have a zipper hidden somewhere, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> Batman couldn't even move his neck for the first four movies. Well, that's what I was asking him. I was like, how'd you even move in that thing? But, it, you know, it, it, he, he was so strong, you know. I mean, he was so, you know, I mean, he obviously he had the, you know, the the uh, the stamina and strength to, to pull it off. But, um, but I mean, you, you got to think they were shooting, you know, in the summertime and, and um, but, you know, it's interesting at the time, you know, John, uh, you know, he, he, he said at first I, I didn't I wasn't sure that I wanted to do the show because, you know, he didn't want to be in tights like, you know, he you know, at that point he thought it, he just thought it was like 70 Spider-Man, you know, oh, yeah, oh where he's in, <laughs> yeah, where he's in tights or pajamas and he's like, hey, you know, I don't want to do that. But, you know, he kind of discovered that, that there were more layers to the show. Than he, you know, that he thought, and 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 at the time um, that he did the show, I mean, I, I don't think that he um, he really. I mean, first of all, he had no idea what it would become, and you know, to him, it was just he did a season of a TV show and it got canceled, and you know, probably by the I think on the last episode, he just when they I guess they knew they weren't getting picked up, he just yanked the ears off and threw them on the ground and. And Mark Hamill picked him up and kept him. <laughs> so, um, but you know, it was it was a big disappointment because you know they they had planned, um, you know, going into season two. They, I mean, they had a they you know they had a Game Boy uh, Nintendo game, the Flash. They had they they had um, action figures and dolls planned. Wow, actually, they never, some prototypes there's molds actually, and they never released it, huh? Yeah, they the prototypes found found you know there there's probably a handful of prototypes out there on the on the on the underground market you know floating around and you know um, there were some uh, coloring book I mean they they you know they planned on this thing being uh, a success so um, so anyway um, you know but after that I mean John Wilson ship went on to uh, Dawson's Creek and you know he he was on that show for. Gosh, very long time. I was so upset. Now, I'm not going to apologize for this anyway. I'm a sucker for some of those shows. Like, I've seen every episode of Roswell, Buffy, Angel, and Dawson's Creek. And I even lasted through what is a terrible season six, only to be redeemed at the end. But when he died, I that took the wind out of the show. I really thought that there was, like, a huge mistake for them. That was kind of the beginning of the end, you know? Um I mean, I watched it for him. You know, I love seeing him on there as well. I mean, it, it uh, you know, I, 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 I think I watched probably the first, um, you know, I, it's funny. I, I actually auditioned for that show. The what? What? Of the, of, <laughs> of, yeah, Dawson's Creek. Um, yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, but I, I, when I saw it, when it came on television, um, and I saw John was in it, I ended up, I ended up watching it for, for a couple of seasons. But uh, it, was a, it was a great show. Um, and I, and I just don't think CW can, can, uh, they just can't seem to get that magic back on no. some of these new shows that these, these, you know, they rebooted charmed and I don't get it and Roswell and I don't get it. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't, I don't understand, uh, why these shows just don't have, 
you know, they don't, they don't, and maybe it's just I'm, you know, I'm getting old. And well, no, I look at the history of this though. Most shows that are reboots or continuations rarely ever succeed because they just couldn't get that magic together, and it, sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's meant to be. Like make make a show that's like it. Like you know, Dawson's Creek was like James at fifteen. You know, and, and, you know, it wasn't a complete remake. It was just like an homage of sorts. It just took that grain. And, you know, you could remake Roswell in a way, but, like, just change it up. Don't make it actually Roswell because you're never going to capture that original feeling. It's so hard. No, and I mean, and my thing is, if you're going to do a reboot, make it a sequel, make it a continuation, bring yeah. back the original guys, even if they're not the leads. You know, you can right. I mean, still can... put the young... Yeah, just to see. You know, the young guy or girl in there. Right. You know? Well, they never um, did just... really finish Roswell. The fact of the remake it when they never really finished it is mind-boggling to me. I was like, you know, there's books that continued after this that continued their stories. They're still kind of on the run. And <laughs> you're just going to leave that hanging and just start over again. All right, whatever. Right, right. God, I auditioned for Roswell, too. That's crazy. <sighs> for the leads, or were you just, like, on guest appearances? Uh, well, I, I read for the, one of the leads on uh, Dawson's Creek and one of the leads on um, Roswell, yeah. Bananas. No way. That's, that's really cool. I mean, not to you. Yeah. Not to, not, it's not cool that you didn't get it. I just mean, like, it's just kind of well, nice to have that. Well, you know, man, you, you, you had to audition 200 times to get one back in those days. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy, but, um, you know... Either that or I was just very unlucky. I don't know. <laughs> but, I will but, say um, this about Dawson's Creek. If anything, it gave um, John Wesley Shipp something else. You know how Hollywood is. They like to pigeonhole anybody who shows up in comic book stuff or, or you know cartoony kind of things. They think that's the only thing they're capable of. And so many actors, that's it. They do that one thing. And they're done. And thankfully, he has a couple other projects, you know, that he can, you know, go out there and say, "Hey, I'm not just the Flash." No, and he, and that's, and that's, that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, yes, I was a huge fan of him as the Flash. Yes, I, you know, I, I love the Flash as a, uh, you know, it's 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 near and dear to my heart. But I've always liked him as an actor, and I and I felt disappointed that. You know, I didn't see him on his own cop show or I didn't see him on his his own, you know, sci-fi show, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, um, you know, his own syndicate. You no, know, I mean, it's 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 one of those things where I always thought John was in a way kind of like a Bruce Campbell. Totally. You know, that's you the know. thing about his flash is that he, unlike a lot of comic book cartoon uh, adaptations, is never campy. It's never stiff or tongue in cheek. He's just charming as hell. He was just very charming. He had that thing, you know, that makes you want to watch him. And, and you know, and, and you know, even in the, in the indie that, you know, that I directed him in, I mean, he, he was, I mean, he is a trained actor and he knows his stuff. And, and I mean, he brings heart to everything he does. And, and he's one of those, he's not one of those actors that shows up and, okay, what do I say? You know, I mean, he shows up prepared, you know, and, and I mean, He's easy to work with, and it's just, you know, I mean, he, he's, you know, he stays busy. I mean, he, you know, he does his indies, and, and I, you know, I, I have, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little behind, and, you know, on, on, on shooting some of our projects just because, you know, it's the way it goes. But, I mean, I still intend on, on casting him um, and other things as well. But, 
you know, he he he's he does his indies. He does some TV TV work. He's he's done some guest spots on, I think Blind Spot. I saw him on. He did. Um, um, I think he did an episode of Katie Holmes' new show that didn't get picked up. Oh, I didn't realize she had a new show. I I, yeah, I miss a, a lot pilot. of what's going on pilot season. I to tell you the truth, I have this thing now where I've basically given up on new television. It's just too much content. I can't keep track, and then sometimes I get nostalgic for old stuff. There's no reason for me to be watching every single episode of Facts of Life. There really isn't, except it's just like, I know this, I'm comfortable with this, <laughs> I know how it's going to end, it's not going to fuck it up at the end. And make me you know, I've, I've kind of just given up on the content of it. I just I just don't, I don't get television today. Um, I just think that it's, um, you know, it's changed so much um, yeah, from it's, when it's, I... It has to be remakes, known properties... So what I don't understand is why any show really needs to go beyond five seasons. I feel like everything is said important in that and everything else is just filler. You go beyond five seasons and it's good. It's really rare. Yeah. I mean, you know, there really has to be somebody like an actor that I really want to watch. Like I, I love, you know, like I'll still watch the blacklist because of James Spader's performance. I think he's hilarious on the show. I think, um, you know, I still keep up with The Flash just because, I mean, I, you know, it was great to see John Wesley Ship return as the 90s Flash on the Crossworld uh, right. episode. Is, is, so, he, is he Jay Garrick at one point? Because I saw a picture of him dressed as Jay Garrick, you know, with the old 40s style hat. Well, he's Jay Garrick. Well, he was Jay Garrick in previous seasons, yeah. But oh, it's confusing because they keep changing the world. Well, they have all these alternate these they have the they have the multiverse going on so yeah. so on the on the uh, Batwoman pilot on the Green Arrow and on the Flash or on Supergirl I'm sorry um, they did they do this you know they once a year they do this big crossover where all the heroes get together and they brought him back and they actually reconstructed his suit from the 90s and and he guest starred on oh my god that's so rad months. I gotta catch up on this show <laughs> but. I was so disappointed that they just didn't use him enough. Okay. You know, I mean, he, he was great in what he did, but I just feel like they, you know, it's like they set it up like he was supposed to be this main central character in these crossover episodes. And, 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 and he is very visible, but I just feel like they could have done a lot more with his character and and the, I think they've talked about bringing him back as the flash. Yeah, I mean the show is still red hot. I think it's the anchor for the that entire world because I think Green Arrow the the luster is lost on that show. It's way too dark and depressing. So Flash has become like the main focus point for the entire DC television world. Yeah, and I thought the uh, the Batwoman pilot was actually okay. I mean, I obviously I, I had to watch it because it was a continuation of the Crossworlds. Yeah. Episodes. Yeah, I got to catch up, man. It's it's ridiculous how far I'm so far behind. I'm like three or four years. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I, I think just television in general is just too dark and depressing today. I mean, I, I, I would love to just have, um, you know, again, I'm showing my age here, but I, I just would would love to have the syndicated, fun, campy shows back, or they, you know, just good guys and bad guys, you know. Yeah, it, well, it was like you didn't need to watch every single episode. It was a one and done. You catch a here and there. You didn't really lose anything. I lost you, didn't I? Uh, say it one more time. Oh, I said back then it was a one and done. You could just watch one episode. You didn't have to feel like, well, I missed two episodes. Now I can't watch the series anymore because there's no way to. Well, that's it. the thing. I mean, I miss standalone episodes. You know. 
Yeah. Um, you know, once a week they go after the uh, the baddie of the week or the monster of the week. Yeah, or... I love the intro that would tell you the entire everything you needed to know in the first two minutes, like A Team and Airwolf and stuff like that. And you're yeah. like, okay, I yeah. got the gist of this. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I mean, you know, I tried to watch the new Magnum PI, and you know, it's just uh, there was just no reason to call it Magnum PI. You know, no mustache. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah no mustache of course yeah, yeah. i mean I, you know actually i think the, the new macgyver actually from what i saw of it was halfway decent um, yeah i i watched an episode or two of it every once in a while i hear about them gonna remake something and i kind of wish they had i wish the a team had been much bigger than it was because i think a lot more of these tv shows would have been brought to the big screen i know they were pushing hard for airwolf but then a team only did so 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 everybody just kind of pulled back i think mcconaughey was even attached to a magna pi Maybe at one point, and I and I wonder how how would you do Airwolf today? You I don't know? know. It's so hard because it's not that amazing. Like back then, if, if, if a high tech uh, helicopter was totally like, oh my god, this is something new, you know, groundbreaking for television. But nowadays, that's that's a nothing. That is a low budget direct to video movie from Universal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, the SWAT team that uses those kinds of helicopters these days. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's nothing. I mean, it's. It would have it's, to be a transformer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like you would have to be invisible, literally invisible, or something. You know? something I mean, like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. know how you. Uh, speaking of I movies, don't know though, how you? Uh, how are they going to do a Flash movie? I don't understand the point of a Flash movie where they're going to cast somebody else when everybody already knows Grant. Why not just like delay the season, like do a half season, or just cancel the show and promote them all to movies? I don't. How are the two going to exist? I don't. Mm. You know, that's what's so, I think, so frustrating about today's world is just the, you know, the existence of so many different timelines, you know. Um, you know, they don't mix TV and film. They don't, you know, Grant is the TV flash. They're not going to put him, you know, back in, you know, back in the day. I mean, you know, look, X-Files was a huge TV show. They made a feature. Right. You know. And it's not the Sex only time of Serenity, you know. They made it, be- yeah. Um, they used to do that. Yeah, it's not very so, often anymore. I kind of wish that, you know, even if it was, um, I would I would take a twenty five million dollar Flash movie because I've seen what they can do with five million in a, in a, a two hour special. I would totally take that. You don't need to spend two hundred million dollars. Yeah, and, and just make it budget, you know, visual effects crazy, and and um, you know you can still have you know the Green Arrow cameo, and you know you can still have all your cameos in there. Yeah. You know, but it's got to be an um, idea big enough. That's the problem. The only thing I can see is if there is alternate realities, that's why there is a different Flash in the movies. And that might be the way to reboot the universe because I've, I've seen that you know Batman and now Superman are completely off the radar. Like Different people are going to be casting in, different storylines. And I'm like, but wait, you just set up this whole thing with Justice League and Aquaman's huge. You're going to continue that. Water Woman's huge. You're going to continue that. How are you going to explain this? And the only way to do it is to re- reset the entire universe. Well, and I think, you know, I, I've, I've talked about this with, with Chad, quite a, Chad Law quite a bit. I mean, we talked about how DC just didn't do it right. You know, they just they just could not get their ducks in a row. Yeah. And. And it's like because Wonder Woman and Aquaman were so huge, you know, they've got to continue this, you know, I mean, personally, I think the whole thought, I thought the whole thing should have just been completely rebooted before Aquaman. Um, But, um, you know, it's not going to happen now. No, no. I mean, I, 
I don't, you know, look, I'm, I'm sure that uh, the guy who played Ezra Miller, I think is, is the guy, actor who plays The Flash. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I'm sure, you know, he's 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 a uh, a fine actor. I I just don't, I don't. I don't buy him as Flash. No, I mean, I yeah, I thought he was fine, but I was just like, he might be the weakest point. Well, no, Cyborg. Um, and he might be a good actor, but I feel like they chopped up his character so badly that by the time the movie was done, he didn't care. He was almost just like, um, oh, what do you call it? The driving point. You know, just like, yeah, oh, he he's was just filler. Yeah. You know? The Duex Machina, or how do you say it? Machina? Duex Machina? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I just don't... Uh... I don't know. I, I think there's just, you know, now Ben Affleck's out of it. Yeah, so it's it's really frustrating. And it's like they got it right on TV. They can't get it right on film. And, uh, and, I hope and it's, sad. it's sad. It's sad. But it's weird that we're complaining about television. this, though. It's it's like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when The Flash was getting ready, that's all we had. <laughs> just, we were like, oh, thank God. Something. And see, they won't even do a Batman TV series today. Nah. Well, know? they got Gotham, I guess, technically. Technically, but that's that's more Smallville, I think, than anything. Yeah. Dark, much darker Smallville, obviously. And Gotham is a good show. I've watched I've watched some of it, and um, you know it's very dark and gritty. And but you know, I mean, how you know it would be great to see, you know, it would be great to see Batman on a TV show, but as detective. But not a soap opera. I want him yeah, to be but the not detective. A soap opera. Yeah, I want him to, because you can yeah. still do that on a budget. Just have him solve these mysteries, and, and for the hell of it, bring Barry into it because he's a criminologist, or right, or is that Wally? Yeah, he's a forensic. Yeah, forensic. Yeah, yeah. Forensic, yeah and he CSI can he can travel yeah. to. Uh, oh shit! I'm forgetting not not Coast City. That's uh, Green Lantern. Central City. Uh, got Central City and yeah. Gotham. Yeah. Just have them meet up I and mean, go do a case together. Well, apparently, I mean, well, I guess now that they have Batwoman. You know, they they could happen. Yeah. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be that CW world. Yeah. You know? um, but I'm grateful for it, honestly. Uh, but I was just thinking about this just now. I was looking at the guest list, and I forgot the very first villain in the movie was not a superpowered guy. He was just a guy who ran a biker gang and had little bombs. And I was like, well, that's what we took back then because most shows would not give you the villains from the comics. And I also want to mention that he's played by Michael Nader, who the previous year yeah, it was Pike. Yeah, he played the villain. I don't know if you're going to remember this or not. This is going kind of obscure. There was a TV show pilot called Nick Knight with Rick Springfield as a vampire detective. He took on Michael Nader, the same network the year before. So they must have liked him in this to cast him in Flash. Yeah, I'd never heard of that show. Yeah, Nick Knight actually got picked up later. It ran for three years, but with a different lead. It was called Forever Knight. Forever Night. I know Forever Night. Yeah, yeah. it started off as yeah. a series for uh, Rick Springfield, and then they said, well, L.A.'s too expensive, Rick Springfield's too expensive, let's shoot it in Vancouver with Canadian actors. It's, just, it's the same series. Same thing. Wow, I did not know that. Huh. Yeah, if I can find that pilot, I'm going to show it to you, because they utilize those Lost Boy flying effects on television, and you're just like, you're, my jaw was on the floor, they could even achieve that on that kind of budget. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Canada, man, they some great shows came. You can't really knock Canada because some great shows came out. Yeah, well, most of them, uh, most sci-fi shows are now shot in Canada. Oddly enough, there's a few shot in Portland, um, like the, ma- mm-hmm. not the magicians, the librarians in Graham, they were shot up here. But for the most part, yeah, it's Vancouver. And, you know, you're talking about old syndicated TV shows. That's where we got most of those shows were Canada. Yeah, like Highlander. Um, War of the Worlds. 
War of the Worlds. I mean, yeah, I mean, X Files. I mean, most most of those were yeah. Was that? It was, Can- that, it was uh, Australia, yeah. or New Zealand. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so I don't sure what we'll do for our next episode. I was thinking you you had mentioned Nightman. We're already on the superhero hook right now, and I remember really liking Nightman. I haven't seen it in years, and, and it'd be fun to revisit that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, Night Nightman is definitely uh, it, it's a product of the time, and it has a guest star I know you won't like. I'm trying to think who would well, not who would be on there I wouldn't like. Yeah. Oh, you won't like him. I guarantee you. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch the whole series now. Damn it. <laughs> that's 48 episodes. But, you do, know, it's funny I, is I that still to, hasn't come out on DVD. Spoil it for you? Yeah, go ahead. He's the, he's the 45th president of the United States. Motherfucker. Really? No. <laughs> okay, guest, so give me that episode. <laughs> he guest stars on Nightman. Oh, God. You know what? That actually kind of fits. Just this low budget. <laughs> yeah, low budget. Trash. <laughs> bargain bin late night television uh, you know i mean yeah and he plays he plays himself but he, he he's does. also kind of but he's also a clone of himself all so, like, right so now fixed, i'm gonna have to you know? see this just to believe it I, I got excited though when i found out that manimal was connected to nightman there's a crossover episode you know 15 years later and uh, that that sounds fun, but I'm I'm shocked they it's still did, They did a they did a Manimal crossover yes. episode out. Yeah, it's because from the same creator, Gary, uh, not Gary Larson. That's the guy who did Farsight. Who am I thinking of? Who who is the guy who created these shows? Glenn A. Larson. Uh, it's one of his yeah, final. Glenn TV Larson. Yeah. yeah, but he had the rights to the character of uh, Manimal, and um, of course, yeah, of course he did. Yeah, so he shows up in an episode. I think it's a two parter crossover with Nightman. No way. Yes. So I want to revisit oh, that. Dude, you know, I've you know, got to see this. You um, you picked up this six-pack series of sci-fi TV shows from the '80s and '90s, and they're dirt, they're dirt cheap. I want to pick this up. Those look like they'd be fun to go through. Maybe not, you know, not one per episode, but you could probably break that up over two or three episodes. Yeah, you know, I've watched Deadly Games all in one, all in one uh, hurrah. It was pretty. It, I mean, it was crazy. It was so. It was such an entertaining show. I mean, it, it was undeniably bad. Yeah, but yeah, real was it like the yeah. first UPN sci-fi show? Yeah, yeah, and and I think it really only uh, yeah, I believe there's like eighteen episodes. Okay, yeah, I want to check that out. That looks really cool. And uh, speaking of DVD releases, and, Chris, and Christopher Lloyd is it? Yeah, was that as a Magus production or is he just like a gun for hire? I don't know. Okay, I don't remember. Yeah, it I looks fun remember. though. There's a lot of good stuff on there. The special unit two, I remember being a huge fan of. There's the powers of Matthew Starr, the Immortal. Um, Super Force? Uh, Super Force. Yeah, I haven't watched Super Force yet. Turner, um, there's a sixth one. I don't remember what the other one was. It was uh, the uh, not Soldier of Fortune. I keep going back to Soldier of Fortune. Um, <laughs> special Unit or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Special Soldier of Fortune. Yeah, that wasn't sci-fi, but I remember that was like one of those last gasps of the syndicated TV shows. It's because CW and uh, UPN basically wiped out that market. They're like, well, we'll just buy it then and put it you know, nationwide. Well, and it's sad because that employed a lot of people. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, they still got and jobs. I, Sci-Fi Channel picked up a lot of those kind of shows. Yeah, but, you know, I think the last of the bunch was like, um, it, you know, they did Adventure Inc. with Mike Right, Bean. yeah. Legend of they the Seeker did... was a brief experiment, and that didn't last very long. Which one was it? Legend of the Seeker from Sam Raimi. Oh, that's right, yeah. And... Um, what else? But, but that was our uh, Sheena. 
Yeah, that was that was. One, I have that, by the way. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. I have the entire series. <laughs> you have this, you have this first. Well, you know, I I, I worked with um, uh, the uh, the lead actor. Oh, generally no John one. Leslie. No, no, no. Um, John uh, John Allen Nelson. Oh, okay, yeah, guy, yeah, from Beast uh, the Death Stalker. Yeah, the guy who plays Cutter. Yeah, yeah. He he was in the first um, film that I ever wrote. Um, um, great guy. I mean, just the nicest guy you will ever meet in your life. Um, well, I think he had a you know, he, career resurgence, didn't he? Like after that show was over with, he, is he started getting picked up did. by network shows. Dude, he he went he went nuts, man. He was a regular on Twenty Four. He was a regular on um, an NBC show called Missing. Crisis, or no, the the Vanishing or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. With Jeremy Sisto was like in, in a Del, Del Rey Lindo, I think. Yeah, he man, he was doing every network. I mean, he was guest starring on every network TV show. Well, I think it's a lot man, of it's think... because our generation saw these actors and, and we appreciated what they had to offer. We didn't see them as yeah. slumming and, and, and campy crap. And um, I wish – I wish I don't remember his name, but the guy who was in Beastmaster, the TV series, I really liked his work. Daniel Goddard. And see, that's one I need to uh, – you, you sent me uh, – or no, we talked about that on Facebook. I need to revisit that one. Yeah. It's just like they were pleasant for TV shows for everybody. They were uh, family-friendly because you know they would syndicate some of them at night, but most of them were Saturday and Sunday afternoons. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, you know, I miss stuff like that. I mean, I, I miss stuff like Superboy, you know, and yeah. I miss stuff like, you know, I mean, the stuff that you'd see at 10 o'clock uh, after the news, you know. Yeah, or um, once the animation was over with, they had to fill TV with something, and not everybody had baseball, so they had to fill it with something. And it's it's where we got our sci-fi and fantasy fix, where no one else was giving yeah. it to us. Yeah, I mean, I remember, God, when I was just getting into the business, um, I auditioned for this TV show called Dangerous Curves. I haven't heard of that. And Is that USA? It sounds like USA. I, like Silk Stalking. It was probably, kind of yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was like a Silk Stockings kind of show, but there was one of them like every night after like at 11 or 12 o'clock on network television. Oh, wait, I remember like, so this. What year was this? 92? Okay, well, I know they tried something in the late 80s with the final season of T.J. Hooker on CBS, and they aired it, like, every single night at, like, 11.30 to compete with, like, Johnny Carson. And, God, there was a show with oh, – what, what's my, Michael Wincott's brother's name? Um, uh, Jeff Wincott. Jeff Wincott. I know he had a Canadian cop show that was on every night, but this is, like, six years before what you're talking about, so I'm curious. I don't remember this. Well, there was, I remember there was, uh, uh, it was Dangerous Curves, um, Is this where Vampire Show. Started? That's where, that's where, that's where, um, Forever Night started. Now I know what you're talking about. You, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. They, it's, it was late and it was considered late night television. Yeah. And, and they would have hour long episodes after it was like, they'd come on at like 11 or 12 o'clock at night on, on CBS or NBC or whatever it was. Um, and, um, I mean, the, I mean, they were considered syndicated shows, but I mean, you're talking five different television shows that gave all these people work, yeah. you know, I mean, it wasn't huge and pay, were, but it was considered probably better pay than they get now since the cafes have been yeah, kind of crazy. I mean, but now, now, I mean, you look, I mean, there's no use in having cable anymore. I mean, my God, it's just filled up with, you know, cooking and reality shows. Yeah. 
I just, I just, I guess what I'm saying is I just find it hard to believe that there's no place for that stuff. Right, because even the streaming sites are not catering to that market. No, they're not. They're all trying to be HBO light. <laughs> what HBO turned into. Yeah. You know, they're trying to do Dead the Deadwood and Game of Thrones, and you know, it's yeah. like, and and it's it's fine. You know, you like shows like that. That's great, but you know. Um, well, I feel like what's you missing know, from movies, too. You know, 80s and 90s, there was all these smaller companies trying to fill that niche of um, sci-fi and horror that nobody else was giving us. And it just seems like Bloomhouse has all the horror and no one's doing a low-budget sci-fi. Like, it just – it seems like it's just gone. Yeah, and that's – you know, that's something I've, I've talked to my my, uh, my writing partner about. Um, I was just like, you know, he he just does not like sci-fi and I've, I've tried to uh, – engage in like a low budget superhero thing and yeah i got who else talking about this i have this idea in my head for a wraith sequel but it's never gonna happen so i was like well if i ever do start writing again i want to do a movie that has that kind of spirit like a sci-fi fantasy mixed with action i mean action still sells but if you throw in a little bit and i don't think it would be that expensive like certain ideas you can do for a few million dollars and cover your ass well, and, you know, it doesn't have to be the Wraith 2. It can just be an unofficial Wraith reboot. Yeah, well, know? no, I was I mean, just thinking, like, it's just that kind of concept, and I'll just twist it in a whole different way where it's not a, a Yeah, I mean, you just put yeah. your own spin on it, and there you go. I yeah. Mean, that's that's how you handle that, you know? Um, Don't get sued But, later. yeah, the Wraith, I mean, man. I mean, <laughs> Explain what, to me how Albert – I need to understand how Albert Pion is able to make these movies. Like that are unofficial ripoffs or unofficial sequels to Streets of Fire and Cyborg and Nemesis when he doesn't own the rights. And and frankly, I've never actually seen these movies actually released. I feel like he's just – they're tax write-offs for some company. What, what, now, which which movies are you talking about in general? Well, he did A Road to Hell, which is supposed to be Streets of Fire 2, which he didn't own the rights to. And then he did one called Cyborg Nemesis, and I think there's like Cyborg, The Slingers. Well, or he directed the first Cyborg. Yeah, but he doesn't own the rights. Canon Pictures owns. Well, the he wrote it too, didn't he? Yeah, but I don't know how that works. But I still, you see, well, you see posters, he, uh, no, you see I, production. I think, think Canon or MGM owns the rights. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how and that I think works. That's but... why the movie never got. Yeah. Well, I think funding ran out for starters, but you know, <laughs> he did Sword and the Sorcerer too. Right, and that was. Oh yeah, that's right. Tales of the Ancient Empire. He did actually. They actually released it. <laughs> it's and on I Watchable. <laughs> Man, I couldn't get through five minutes of it. It was oh just God. so bad. It just, um, you know, he he's always he's always had this thing where he's wanted to be this crazy art house director, and um, and that's the route he's going these days, and the stuff that he does do, and it just doesn't, you know. I mean, his stuff was always a little off to begin. Yeah, with. always ten million dollar ideas with a one million dollar budget kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, some of his stuff is is brilliant. I mean, I think Omega Doom, uh, Nemesis, um, huge, Adrenaline. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Radioactive Dreams. He was really good with the post-apocalyptic and mixed with cyborg kind of stuff. He was, he was, and he he did a lot of good cyborg boxing movies. You know, back when they did those, <laughs> they, everything was kickboxing or yeah, boxing blood fist, kick punch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, kick, kick, fight, <laughs> kick, fight, or whatever the hell, you know, whatever the hell you come up with. Foot puncher. Um, <laughs> but, you know, people wonder why, you know, no one, you know, it's so hard to make a living in the industry anymore. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, again, we always talk about this. You go back to the 90s, you had, you had the direct-to-video world. You had the, 
the syndicated TV, right. you know, Baywatch, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Adventure Inc., uh, Conan, Beastmaster, you had all of that stuff, you know, on top of network television, on top of theatrical films, you know, TV actors were TV actors and movie actors were movie actors. You know, it's it's just the the, the shift is just right. You know, do you, where, think, where it's, do you think the Flash to bring it back? I don't, I'm kind of manipulating this a little bit, but do you think that um, the Flash, if it had been like three or four years later when digital effects were more affordable, that they could have continued in syndication? Because when we watch it, I think it's mostly optical effects. I think. Uh, I think. I wish they would have done with the Flash what they did with Viper. Like just you know? take a few years off and just kind of overhaul it. Like, yeah, like like you know, take a year or two off and then come back on UPN. Yeah, I just I guess it was it wasn't at UPN back then. Yeah, well, UPN I think it was in '95. But the only thing you could it's gonna be really hard to do is the night shoots because they did that on the old Warner Brothers set. Whereas well, it, that's, they, and that was that's what gave Central City such that yeah because cool I imagine if they were going to save money and syndicate they're going to shoot it like in Toronto and it just wouldn't look the same. It wouldn't, but I think they could still they they still could have pulled it off. I think I think I think it would have been a great syndicated show. People people you know you know it, it just they you know it's like John said they just had the worst luck because the series premiered and. The, the Gulf War started. Yeah. Well, then they had huge so competition. They, were, they had Simpsons, so, they had Cosby, um, Turner And Rose. then they were right up against the Simpsons yeah. and Cosby. You know, they had the worst time slot. And, um, you know, it's like you said, he said it was, you know, it was, it was, it was a recipe for disaster. But to show what, just what um, uh, a stamp this show left on, on pop culture they just released, Mattel just released a John Wesley ship action figure. No. In the um, old costume? In the old costume. Dang, that's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah, that's cool. It, oh, yeah. And, and, and apparently they have, like, flown off of the shelves. That's pretty cool. Well, I mean, it's a whole world where we embrace a lot of the, the old stuff that we used to crap on. I mean, the fact that yeah. crawl, crawl is now a huge cult hit surprises me because for decades everybody said it was the worst piece of crap. Yeah, but I mean, for a toy company who make cheap knockoff, uh, you know, I, I think toys pretty much, you know, pretty pretty much uh garbage these days. You know, the way the, the you know, what I mean, they... I, from what I've seen, they just they just reuse the molds for for everything and kind of repaint them. But yeah. for them to actually go through the trouble of making a you know a, a you know a toy based on a night a TV series that went one season thirty years ago, you know that's a statement. You know, totally. Well, it, it shows that you that, that the nostalgia for it isn't just blinded by oh my youth is gone. I'm so sad. Like people legitimately uh, appreciate the show. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then what happens is he he shows up in the '90s suit on the new Flash, you know. Um, so it's it's like people people love that character, and 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 I think if CW could get it together, and I think if they could just you know look, I mean, don't cameo him. You know, yeah. that that's my biggest problem. I mean, he he's done a few, he's done a couple episodes or a few episodes where he was he had you know he he was a central central guest star, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like make him make him a part of the story. I mean, really 
really utilize him. I would really know? like to see a JSA TV series, and I want to see yeah, uh, Richard I mean, Burgey, who played Nightshade. Uh, I want him cast as Wildcat. I think that he would be perfect for it. Well, didn't he die? Richard Burgey? Who am I thinking? I'm thinking of the guy, the, the actor who played Nightshade on the TV show. Oh, oh, no, you're thinking, I'm thinking of the guy from The Sentinel. Remember, there's two Nightshades. There was the original Nightshade. Um, crap, he was the judge on uh, Liar Liar. Yeah, 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 on Liar Liar. Yeah, he passed away, yes. But Richard Burgey's the younger guy. He's the one who looks like, if they were to make a Batman Beyond movie now, he would look like old Bruce Wayne. Um, but he starred in The Sentinel, and I think he has a perfect fit. If they can't get him... Get David Keith to play Wildcat, and, and you know, and just like have all these older, cool, tough guys get together and, and teach the younger uh, superheroes, you know, to be better. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I mean, what? I mean, they're there. Why not? Why not do it? You know, yeah. it's it's a whole new world where we're getting stuff that I never imagined my entire life I would ever see on television. We have Doom Patrol for Pete's sake, which is like a Z grade, like it's such a minor cult following for that. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Brendan Fraser, right? Yeah, I want to see my... When, uh, when, is the, when does that air? I, I think it's like a couple months off. I think it's because Titans just ended, and I know DC doesn't want to go too long without another thing for people to latch on to, to you know, keep watching that app. Titans, ha or uh, Doom Patrol has to be soon. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know what? I mean, there's still hope. I mean, it's 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 crazy, you know, that I'm I'm in an you know, it's like I'm in an age where all the guys that I grew up watching and you know, they're they're just they're seldom seen anymore. Yeah. So it's it's like when I watch television and and, and even a lot of movies now, I'm just like, who are these? People? <laughs> yeah, it's a, I I don't know what show they're on. It's on the WB or I said the W. That shows my age. The CW. I never heard of them. Okay, but whatever. And sometimes they'll surprise me, but. There is like a group of actors that you have a fondness for that kind of get washed away. You know who's an actor who's underappreciated who shows up in the Flash is Anthony Stark as the Ghost, and it's one well, of the few villains. Well, he was yeah, he was he was great as uh, an, an, another great uh, cable TV series, uh, The Magnificent Seven. Yeah, God, that show's so good. I think that did start on CBS, but I think it did go to cable. But you know, uh, it went to, yeah, it went, to, it went to Showtime. Yeah, Return yeah. of the Killer Tomatoes, I think, is the first big thing I'd seen him in, and then he was in one of the Bond movies. Then he did The Flash, and um, I think it's only the, like he only did a few villainous roles for the most part. He's kind of like the dad or the the office guy. Like he's always like the glue that holds uh, movies and shows together. The like, good supporting actor. Yeah, he he was uh, he was phenomenal on. Uh... On Magnificence, he he was he was perfect for that character. Yeah, I have that series. I that's a really underappreciated. You know, we talk about sci-fi, fantasy, and horror shows. I think maybe it's time to add action to this as well, because that's a show I really want to talk about. Oh, it's 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 so well made, and and it's um, and you know, look, it's fun. It's not it's not morbid and, and depressing like Deadwood. You know, I mean, no, it's, good um, God, I don't want to. I could go the rest of my life without hearing the, the word "cunt" said every five minutes on the yeah, show. Yeah, I mean, good there's God. just no. Re you know, I don't I don't need to. I don't need to I don't. I don't need to see all that stuff, and you know, and it, and I think that's just what it was, man. Is they just they, you know, you had these trained actors with with careers behind them, and you know, they they made the episodes fun, you know, yeah. and uh, and they spent money on. Them, oh know? yeah, that was not a that was not a low budget show. I mean, to have that many people as your main cast in the first place, that's expensive. No, and I think they I think they were on the Santa Clarita Old West Town. So. Yeah, that's a lot of the great um, shows that we loved as kids. Um, 
they were big ideas that that's why they didn't continue beyond one season because they're too expensive. The Voyagers, my favorite sci-fi show of all time, all those locations, all the costumes and stuff like that, it just had to be so expensive. And sometimes I'm grateful mm-hmm. for just the one season because they never jumped the shark. They never got old and tired. Why is Supernatural still on after 15 seasons? Well, and it's, yeah, Firefly is a perfect example. But yeah. it's like, yeah, where, where's the new Western TV series? That, yeah, you know, there was won? one Tom Berenger did where he was a detective. It was on USA. I can't remember the name of it. But his partner was like this James Bond kind of martial arts guy. Damn it, what the hell was it called? It was so good. It's like CSI, but in the West. CSI in the West. Yeah, I'm I'll look sure it up. I... I'll, I'll tell you later. I apologize. I'm getting old and tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting weird. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But I, um, no, it was a, uh, no, it was, it was, it was good to, to finally talk about. I mean, I mean, if if I could only watch two two shows for the rest of my life, it would probably be The Flash and Briscoe County Junior. I mean, I think those those were the two shows that uh, that that that. Uh, touch me most and, and 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 that's what i pretty much uh <laughs> pretty i mean you know i'm heavily influenced by those shows when i when i write yeah know, to the day well it's just so. a show with so many different elements it wasn't just one thing which is a thing that kind of killed a lot of sci-fi shows because they would run out of gas so quickly well and i think that's what i what i love to do is i love to mash up genres you know and mm-hmm. um and, you know, speaking of, you know, we talk about, um, you know, uh, my new film, uh, Howlers, you know, it's it's uh, which is now called High Moon. You know, they changed the title yeah. to High Moon. I get it. But you're right. At first, I was like, that's a great name. But then I started thinking about it, like, well, it, it's catchy. It has a, a kind of a pun to it. But Howlers has a comic book feel to it. Correct. Correct. So, oh, are you, are you going to get and, a comic book? Do, do you decide whether or not to do that? To do what now? You were talking about about a year ago about doing a comic book special connected to the movie. <clears throat> oh no, that's that's still in the works. We've actually already done done some work on it. Okay, so. cool. But literally, you know, they've just been pushing back the release date again and again, and it's like finally, <clears throat> finally, um, they gave us a solid release date of um, digital is uh, May fifteenth, and uh, DVD is July second. So. Um, so hopefully we can start uh, rolling that stuff out. And, good, good, because uh, it has your movie has a pulp comic feel, like an, an EC comics mixed with like classic old DC from like the seventies. And, and you know it's so funny because that's what the distri- distribution company did not understand about it. Wow, really? And they're like, well, how to pitch this movie? Who you know, is it? I'm curious. No, uh, well, well, it was it was uh, Arkstone and Sony. Okay. So they're like, how do we pitch this? Do we pitch this as a, um, a Western? Do we pitch this as a horror film? Do we pitch this as an action film? And it's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, it's it's a gunfighter versus werewolves. Yeah, you, you know? just go um, get an old, get an old comic book covers and, and look at those, and that's kind of the feel you got. Like you got to get it's a meaty uh, cross genre kind of thing. You don't need to sell it to one audience. You just sell it to all the audiences at once. Well, that that's that's what I just didn't understand about it. They ended up going with um, the Western element. I mean, they're going to sell it as a Western, which I, I just I don't know. I mean, you know, hey, I, I don't know. I don't know what audiences want anymore. And I don't understand audiences today. So it's like I 
<laughs> you know, I mean, what do I know? But yeah. I, oh, I know some people who are upset when Bone Tomahawk turned out to be what it was. <laughs> people were like, well, I wanted a classic Western to get a Kurt Russell. And then like, oh, dear God. Well, that's just it. It's like I don't want some, um, you know, some 80-year-old couple buying High Moon thinking they're going to get a Western. And then, you know, werewolves are ripping people apart. You know, yeah. I don't I don't. You know, I, I don't think that's right. <laughs> well, you, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can convince them in the next few months to put out like a really rad poster or something like that that, that evicts that tone that you're looking for. Yeah, well, I got the poster. I I, I have the poster. It's uh, they they sent it to me. It's it's uh, it's it's in, it, you know it's interesting. I mean, I'm like, okay, it's not what I was going for, but you know, we'll see uh, we'll see what happens. All right, yeah, you don't know. You'd be might be surprised. I can't get those words out. Might be surprised. <laughs> Yeah, that's just it. I mean, I, you know, look, I don't know, I don't know what, I mean, I, you know, look, I know what guys are, are you know, our age and our, our kind of, you know, you know, the, the stuff we like, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a different world for, yeah. for other people, you know, so I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's finally coming out and, uh, you know, it's about time. And I mean, I mean, I think it's sat with the, the distribution company for over a year now. So, you know. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'm anxious just to kind of see you what totally, the reaction. Yeah, kind of just like let's let's get this done already. <laughs> but I know yeah, someone like, let's, let's, let's get this out there. And, yeah, and, uh, I can't imagine the torture. Like you've been done. Okay, let me ask you. This is a side note. Valley Girl, they shot that three years ago. I'm sure it was three years ago. It still hasn't come out. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> well, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, like you know, on Howlers, Howlers was a very tough shoot, and. Um, you know, it was it was one of those things where the producers and the filmmaker, you know, we as filmmakers just weren't on the same page, and yeah. and um, you know, reshoots had to be done, and you know, post takes a long time, and and then by the time you're finished with all of that, um, you know, you got to go shop the film around. Right. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and, any movie gets made is a miracle, and I've seen yeah, the movie. Really I'm not is. kissing yeah. your ass, but I enjoyed the movie. It was fun. It was pulpy. It was. Uh... Uh, throwback, but yet still not like drenched in nostalgia. Like, oh, this is a great movie because we're trying to remind you of old things. It's, right. it's legitimately good watch. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty good about it. I, I think, I think there's a lot. I think there's a, there's a cache of people out there who, who, will, who, will, who will get it and who will like it. And, um, you know, I, I hope it, uh, I hope it ends up on television. I, I think that. Uh, you know, obviously we'll end up at Redbox and Walmart and all that, but uh, you know, I'd love to see it on the Sci-Fi Channel or, yeah. you know, or or um, or any any platform like that. I mean, we'll see, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it's just funny how they, you know, I think literally right when we signed with this distribution company, they they were having just a big company shakeup, and that was the the reason that uh, the film got, you know, had to, had to yeah, keep getting pushed away a lot. And just yeah, around yeah. And people were like, I don't know what to do with this now. I, like, freaked. I watched Freak the other day, and I was like, this was supposed to be a huge thing with comic books and toys, and it just dumped because the new head of Fox like, I don't get this movie. I remember. I remember that movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that is pretty much it for us here at uh, Next Planet Over. Wow, I've been talking so long, I forgot that I have amnesia. How long was I asleep? <laughs> so yeah, thank I, you, Josh, for this great episode. Great episode, Mike. Always uh, always a pleasure coming on the show. All right. Well, we'll hit you up uh, next month. Um, you and I will try to watch. I'm going to have to burn through some serious episodes of Nightman, and we're going to discuss that uh, hopefully in March. 
May I do Nightman and Magnificent Seven? We'll have to do a, a marathon. Yeah. To, oh, yeah. Wait, wait, three hours in. I need water. No, we'll we'll break it up. <laughs> we'll we'll try to do we'll do Magnificent Seven maybe in April. Great, man. I look forward to it. All right, everybody, have a good night and check out Howlers when it comes out. Or wait, hold on, sorry. Rewind. Check out High Moon when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that going around. Trust me. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll keep plugging as we go along. We never know what's going to change. There are those who believe that life here began out there, far across the universe, with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians, or the Toltecs, or the Mayans. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive. Somewhere beyond the heavens. It is next planet over. This episode will be discussing Battlestar Galactica, the original series and its spinoff Galactica 1980. And uh, I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host, Ron's on the other side. How's it going? Um, this is early for me, so I'm if sure I see you little... can answer right now. But... <laughs> yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little foggy brain right now. I usually don't do episodes this early in the morning, which is weird because I usually clocked in. Yeah, I clocked in two hours ago. Usually, <laughs> I don't know why I'm so tired. Um, I'm getting old, people. I'm getting old. <laughs> Amen. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm with you there, brother. Yeah, like, that's not that sh- I'm not sure that's the exact day man you meant, but I get what you're saying. Uh, we're going to talk about the OG Battlestar Galactica series. I, we could talk about the new one, but um, I haven't finished it. I actually bailed. Uh, I know people critically claim it, and it's much loved. And my sister absolutely adores it, but I got so depressed like during season two. I was like, I, you know what? I just don't want to feel this bad. <laughs> Yeah, I started watching it, and I, I managed to make it through Caprica, but not, and then got upset that they ended it, but, you know. Yeah, well, what, what is it, is. What, are, what are the, it's, it's Razor was in the middle, I think, and then Caprica, and that was the one that ended, like, after, what, a, just one season, and I think they left it on a cliffhanger, yeah. if I remember correctly, but I didn't watch any of that, um, but I just started thinking, I don't know, about five or six years ago, you know, when we first, I guess it hasn't been that long, we started our other show, Full Throttle Podcast, I guess early 2015, so I guess it was only four years ago. But we started talking about doing sci-fi fantasy shows. And I was like, well, I kind of like it, that that second era of sci-fi on television. Because you have the first chunk, which is mostly anthology series, like Twilight Zone, One Step Beyond, Outer Limits, Night Gallery, stuff like that. And then you had the extreme cheesy, like, uh, tongue-in-cheek kind of sci-fi shows, you know, the the Batman and uh, Lost in Space and stuff like that. And I felt like 
I'm not really part of that era. I mean, I barely even saw those in reruns. I feel like they burned themselves out by the time I was a kid. So for me, the the yeah. second era of, uh, I guess, the Silver Age of sci-fi on TV started with Battlestar Galactica. Okay. That's about right there with you. Buck Rogers was a big fan favorite of my mom's, believe it or not. Um, at least I... That's how I recall it. Yeah, well, no, it was the same thing in my house. My mom was a big sci-fi buff. My dad just didn't get sci-fi unless I had lots of pretty ladies and action in it. Not really much for the, like, like he would never watch Star Trek, I don't think. Um, but I think a lot of those shows that we love are influenced by the 66 Star Trek. Yeah, definitely. I can't remember. I can't put my finger on what other show I watched there at the same time, but they were a little more gritty, weren't they? They weren't quite as... Tongue-in-cheek. Well, I think it's because the budget was lower and they had to go for more high-minded ideas, like more taking a fantastic idea and making it more based in reality. What do they call it? Hard sci-fi? But when Star Wars came out, it started to change things into fantasy. So fact wasn't really a point of it, and, and seriousness was ditched for like high adventure. Now, I, I remember people talking about, oh, Battlestar Galactica, they're remaking that. It's so cheesy. Why are they going to do this? And for years, I was like, yeah, that's cheesy. I, I remember being kind of hokey. And then I rewatched it. Um, and I was like, oh, no, they're completely wrong. In that series, is, I, I think they're confusing it with Buck Rogers because that was more high adventure. Um, Battlestar Galactica is pretty dead serious for most of its run. So I'm watching some of these uh, episodes that we were watching. And there's one particular scene where they're coming in for a landing uh, after taking on a Cylon ship. And... I just remember thinking that that's not bad. Yeah, I thought the special effects show. really held up. Like, pardon? I think the special effects really held up well. I don't I don't think they went back mm -hmm. and remastered any of it like they did with um, Star Trek or anything like that. I think that's just the original John Dykstra uh, designed special effects. Uh, and, you know, fans will know John Dykstra because he's basically the one who revolutionized the, a lot of the look of Star Wars. He changed how right. spaceships look, right. you know. Sorry, I've got dogs playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to have one crying soon in my background. Um, she just does that. I don't know. She sounds like a monkey. It's very strange. Um, <laughs> Probably what I heard. Yeah. The um, uh, So, yeah, the original series, I think the special effects hold up very well. And the fact that it was before digital um, helps a lot. I think eventually we're going to hit some sci-fi shows in the early 90s where they really relied heavily on early CGI and they aged badly. Like, Babylon 5 looks like hell, even though it's good storytelling. Visually, like, oh my god, yeah. this looks like a college project, you know? <laughs> exactly. I, I still watch it from time to time, but I still have that same feeling. Like, yeah. I feel like we did this. Yeah. <laughs> something I would do in my, you know, in my spare time. Right. I always, I always dreamed of making a, a special effects movie that was only old-school special effects, as if it was a lost movie from 1986, right before CGI really started to take over. And it was so elaborate and so well done that they could never finish it. And then just like, oh, it's been sitting in a vault for 40 years, and we finally finished the special effects. Here you go. I always thought it'd be fun to do a movie like that with only use old-school practical effects. I'd work for that. We could do it on old equipment, too. That'd yeah, yeah, just to film it on old... Uh, like 16 millimeter cameras or something like that. Well, these days they have that CGI Passover, that, that film production thing where they can make it look old. I think I'd rather do that because I don't imagine the 
the cost. Oh yeah, God, the film. Well, that's what kept us from making a movie when we were kids. Is even VHS cameras cost a fortune, and we couldn't even afford a camera, so we just dreamed of it. And nowadays, you can just get on your phone. You have better quality (laughs) than what we had in two thousand. I wonder if we bought one of those big bricks you used to hold on your shoulder now. It would oh be like God. three times as much as it was. Oh, uh, I can't imagine like the, the sheer shoulder pain of some of these people, old school. Um, okay, but back to the series. Sorry, I wandered off the range there. Huh? <laughs> we don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> the, uh, so yeah, the original series, I was actually surprised when I saw Rick Springfield was uh, um, Apollo's uh, brother in, in the series. I was like, wow, what if they had switched places, how different their careers could have been? Did you say Rick Springfield? Yeah, do you remember the pilot? He's only in it for like five minutes, but he's Apollo's brother, and he gets killed. I did not know this. That. I know Rick Springfield by voice alone, probably. Yeah. Um, Couldn't pick him out of a well, lineup. I, I actually oh, seen but... him in concert. He's absolutely amazing. He's still, I, I think this is like, what, five years ago when I saw him, six years ago? Uh, still fit as a fiddle. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's impressive, because I've seen some singers. Have you seen Vince Neil lately? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some people don't. Some rockers don't age well, and that's a tribute to uh, how they lived. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, all that hard drinking and smoking. How do they even sing after a while? It just shocks me. But yeah, he's in the he's in the pilot episode, and this is right before his career revival. This is after he had done the children's show. You know, he had broken out in Australia, um, but I think like three or four years before Jesse's Girl came out. So I guess he was just trying to make his way being an actor. And um, yeah. hey, speaking of that, do you remember? Uh, he did a pilot movie back in 1989 called Nick Knight that eventually got picked up as a TV series with a completely different actor called Forever Knight. That was the vampire one? Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, he was in the pilot episode. It aired on CBS, and it was very successful. But for some reason, he didn't do the show, and they took it up to Canada, and they did it with a different actor, and it ran for three seasons. Uh, I'm going to watch that one sometime. I've never seen the show, but I remember the movie being really fun. Definitely. Um, okay, i got to ask. Yeah. How... How I didn't get to watch a whole lot of the first season of this, uh, or the first, uh, I guess you want to call it series? I don't know. Um, with uh, Face and uh, the original two guys in there. Um, yeah, so Richard Hatch is Apollo, Apollo and Starbuck Benedict. is um, Dirk Benedict. Okay, Dirk Benedict, yeah. Why can I not remember that name? I don't know. Seriously. It seems pretty. That <laughs> seems like an old school Hollywood name, doesn't it? It seems like something like Dirk Benedict in a new film noir. From John Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. Anyway, I as I was going through the shows that we the, the, we'd laid out here and realized that the 1980s version didn't have those two in. No. So that, uh, you know, Van Dyke was in it, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like Van Dyke, but don't get me wrong, but it was just, anyway. Yeah, I, the, the 1980 series takes place 30 years after the original, and that wasn't the plan. The original plan was there was such a strong fan write-in for Battlestar Galactica because it did well in the ratings, but it was the most expensive show on television. I think it was $1 million an episode was the cost. Um, it wouldn't All be right. beat until V came out at 1.1 1. 1 in 1984. So that's like six years where I had the biggest budget on television. And, um, nice. and uh, fans wrote in, wanted to save the show. And basically, they're like, well, we can't really afford it, so we need to cut costs. So they're going to recycle the special effects. They're going to cut a lot of the cast. Like, if you remember in the original series, the cast is pretty large. I mean, there was a point where even Jane Seymour was on there. And this is post uh, James Bond, when she was in um, The Man with the Golden Gun. I think it was The Man with the Golden Gun. No, Live and Let Die. Um, So she was a bit of a name. And, of course, Lauren Green's in it. He's he's a name. He's basically the lead. 
and they're like, okay, so we got to cut a third of the cast, and we got to reuse the special effects, and we'll bring it back. Well, Richard Hatch didn't like where he was in the cast. He's like, am I no longer basically, you know, the main character everybody's rooting for? And, right. you know, so he wasn't sure about continuing with that. And then Dirk Benedict was attached to a project at the time, so he couldn't film it. This is before A-Team, so I'm not sure um, what he was attached to. And uh, so they decide, well, I guess instead of being set five years in the future, we're going to be set 30 years in the future. And now Boxy, we're going to change his name for some inexplicable reason. Cast Barry Van Dyke as him and set it on Earth because we went back in time. <laughs> it still doesn't make much sense to me. They go back in time, but the Cylons well, follow yeah. them, and they realize Earth isn't protected by the Cylons. So they go undercover down on Earth with these motorcycles that are clearly not undercover. They look like little compressed versions of the ships. Yeah, and it's just it's really right. generic, and it only lasted ten episodes. I think they're all syndicated. I didn't I didn't really care for it. Yeah, I'm like halfway into it when they got into uh, back went down to World War. Actually, I'm on the third section. I didn't realize it was split into three parts. I thought it was two parts. So I haven't quite finished the third part yet and figured out how they got that taken care of. But it was one of those things I always wondered back when I was really into like Civil War. Uh-huh. Like, man, if we could go back in time and give them all you know, machine guns, how would we do? You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You don't think about those things when you're a kid watching these shows. You know, it's like they were actually throwing that in there and, you know, if, if we interfere, we, you, know, you may not exist type of stuff. And as a kid, you know, think about that. Yeah, you, it, yeah, it's a, I don't think there was a whole lot of time travel shows at that time. I think it was all there was was like Time Tunnel and mm-hmm. uh, I want to say it was another one. But, you know, in the 90s, that's where everybody started doing time travel shows like crazy. Um, the Time yeah. Tracks being one that I really remember. And then there was the Time Cop TV show. Uh, time Cop. Oh, Quantum Leap, of course. Quantum Leap's a big time travel one. Yeah, this kind of hit it before. Um, that was a common thing. I, I, I think uh, the original series really dealt well with trying to take a World War II kind of story and, you know, putting it in futuristic, you know, like the, the dogfights and stuff like that and, you know, serious character issues. You know, the fact that Jane Seymour gets killed, like, in Episode Six, and now Apollo, who's just newly married, has lost his wife, and now he's the dad of Boxy. And he has to go out there constantly mm-hmm. and put his life at risk. And you think about the old days right. where if you had a family, you know, and you were called to war, you didn't really have a choice, you know. And, you know, he's like, well, he's already lost his mom, and now there's a strong possibility he's going to lose his dad. I, I thought that was a really good uh, aspect of it. The things that bother me, though, are the stuff they did so they could make sure that the people who weren't really into sci-fi uh, watched. Like uh, that little stupid dog. What was the dog's name? I can't even remember now. I can't remember. Like, yeah, I cause for years I thought I hit, the dog's name was Boxy, and then it came back, and I was like, oh, never mind. And um, the guy. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it just seemed like a, such a silly aspect. It's the same thing in Buck Rogers with the Twiggy. I don't, I cannot stand Twiggy. I know people love him, and it's fun to say bitty 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 Buck, but it's it's a it's a superfluous <laughs> character. I am Buck. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just I thought there was a lot of really great aspects about it. And the funny thing is, it obviously, even though it only lasted one season, it held on with fans because, you know, we got the second series. And then I remember, um, I'm trying to remember the company that put it out, but there was comic books. Malibu, I think, was the company in the early 90s. Uh, that's when the big nostalgia uh, run, like the Planet of the Apes came back as a comic book series, Star Trek came back. And they started doing uh, new Battlestar Galactica adventures. And I think, if I remember correctly, they got Richard Hatch to come in and write some stories. 
And because of that fan reception, he started doing a fan film, I think around 99, with really early, like, low-budget digital effects that you could do, you know, outside of a big-budget company. And I, all he did was just do, like, a test film, like a five-minute test trailer. It looks decent. Yeah. Um, but I can see where no studio wanted to pick that up because it was just purely nostalgia. I don't think people really wanted a new series. And I remember reading that many attempts at getting it going again. I remember Brian Singer was attached to making a film version of uh, of the series. And then that never uh, worked out. And then, then they did the new series. And I was like, oh, this is only going to go to many series. It's not going to go beyond this. And, and just so surprising that not and nostalgia can only carry you so far. you got to have a good story. Yeah, definitely. Because we had that, that with Night Rider. Remember the Night Rider? talked about like, the original series. Or, sorry, not the original series. The new series. What they're talking about, if they can't bring the series back, they might try and do a movie type of thing. Did they have anything come of that? Or Well, I know. Here's the weird work? thing is, I know that the Brian Singer was still trying to do a movie while the miniseries is going. I was like, that seems like a boneheaded idea. And then, um, right. no, they just hired a writer. Uh, the guy who, who is writing for Westworld on HBO uh, he just got right, uh, hired to do a Battlestar Galactica movie, and it's not going to be connected to any of the series. It's going to be a complete fresh slate. Hmm. How do I feel about that? I know. <laughs> but also, you got to realize it's probably going to cost $150 million. They have to clean the slate and get new people in who never watched the show. As much as, as many people who love the Sci-Fi Channel show, it's still a Sci-Fi Channel show. I mean, how many people watch that? Yeah. Maybe 5 million a week? You know, maybe 15 million by now? That's that's not enough. I mean, fifteen million times. Oh no, actually, that is a lot of money. Think about it. If fifteen million people went and bought a ticket tomorrow for the movie, that's one hundred fifty million instantly. <laughs> not bad. Yeah, but still, it, do that. the problem is, is that it wrapped a lot of things up, though. Because um, how do you continue unless you made it? I don't know. The cast is a lot of the cast is gone from the original series, and the second series kind of wrapped things up. So I, you're going to have to start fresh. Yeah, that's where Caprica was supposed to come in, but it's supposed to. Be- Kind of an inj- What'd you say? There was another one, a Razor or something. What'd you? you know, I know there was a TV movie in the middle called Razor, and I never watched that one. That one was with Michelle Forbes. Um, and the funny thing is, this was running concurrently with Stargate, so sometimes I get the series confused because I know there's Stargate Universe, which for some reason I got confused yeah. with Caprica, and both of those ended before they finished their story. Yeah, so I don't know what they're. It seems like a good idea. I mean, we're kind of in the big sci-fi fantasy run. Um, we're kind of over the sword and sorcery run. But I think people have a lot of bad feelings about Star Wars right now. I think they're overdoing it. I still can't believe that they're releasing a Star Wars movie, like, every year. I think that's kind of... Yeah, well, welcome to Disney. Yeah, I know. I mean, they do it with Marvel, and it works for Marvel. But Marvel is like, each movie seems so wildly different than the other one, so it's a fresh feel. Whereas the Star Wars movies, yeah. they all feel like the same thing. It's like, if you got a Fast and Furious movie every year, I think people would hate it. Yeah. I... I've got really mixed feelings about that, to be honest. But I, I will still go pay for pay a ticket and go to the theater to see it, and not wait for video. But I don't know. I've been kind of lukewarm with the whole, which is really sad because I'm a big Star Wars fan. But it, it's anyway. Yeah, I remember when we were kids. Get off of the tangent if I don't get off of it. That was always the argument: were you a Star Trek guy or were you a sci-fi guy? And it usually kind of told you who you were. And I, I feel like you were more of a Star Trek guy, and I was more of a Star Wars guy. Is that right? Yeah, growing up. Yeah. So you're, you're more, I, I have ADD, and I'm more um, impulsive, and you're kind of, um, right. you're introspective. Very you were always reading books that I would never go near, because they were looks way too heady for me. And 
Imagica by Clive Barker oh, that I had to take. I think it took me five attempts to get through that book. Yeah, but you still, <laughs> you attempted it. I was reading comic books in college. You know, I wasn't reading like anything heady. And I still have trouble well, to this day. Yeah. Star Wars has become my Star Trek now. I, yeah, I'm well, Star Trek. Yeah, a little bit. Well, Star Trek's also. Maybe I'm just getting late. Yeah, Star Trek's also beefed it up. Like they've become more action oriented than uh, slower pace. I haven't seen the new show either, but I heard Discovery is more action packed. Yeah, I've not had a chance to watch that yet because they made it exclusive. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Same thing with Stargate; they made that exclusive too. Did you uh, Did you watch Solo? Yes, I did. Now Solo I feels when, uh, so much. We both loved it, honestly, but yeah. Mm. I loved it. I loved it. I felt like what Battlestar Galactica could be, like this high adventure, um, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, you know, that's the thing about Starbuck. I think that's the reason why everybody – Apollo's lead, but everybody loves Starbuck because he was a Han Solo kind of character. He was a rascal. Right. Which I think is no, why – I'd say I'd like, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. But I think that's, I think, a part of the reason why A-Team holds up so well is because Hannibal's so much fun. Or not Hannibal. Um, Face is so much fun. Face is. <laughs> well, Hannibal plays well off him, too. So. Yeah. Wouldn't build the show on him, but no, no. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Richard Hatch. After this, sadly, sadly, Richard Hatch did pass away fairly young. I think about fifty-five or something like that. And um, he did get to come back to the Battlestar, you know, Battlestar Galactica world. But um, I know after the series ended, he had a really hard time getting stuff going because I mean, it was usually like directed video movies, you know, like shot in the. Uh, you know, Italian directed video market, where it's just pure schlock. Um, yeah. But he did do one from. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie called Hawk the Slayer, but um, it's a really tongue-in-cheek Jack Palance starring sword and sorcery movie. And that director did a follow-up called Prisoners of the Lost Universe, which is available everywhere because it's public domain. And it has Richard Hatch, and it does some really fun sword and sorcery. Uh, uh, kind of, uh, he, he's like a scientist who gets sucked into the past, into an alternate universe or something like that, and he has to fight John Saxon, and it's, it's it's really goofy, very low budget, but it's a lot of fun. I like that kind of premise in a movie. Yeah. I've, no, 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 sorry. Uh, Bill, Kate, Bill and Ted and, uh... <laughs> Yeah, I forgot, Kay Lenz. Okay, I'm trying to remember correctly. Okay, so he's like an electrician, and he gets into a fender bender with Kay Lenz, and they go back to her lab. Where her boss is opening up a time portal to another. This is really stupid when I say it out loud. Open up a time portal or whatever to another universe, and they both get sucked in trying to find him. And then they have to face off against this warlord played by John Saxon. All these crazy alien creatures. But yeah, there's sword and sorcery uh, fun in that. Um, I'll send you a clip. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Um, of course, Lon Green. I don't think he really. Went on... that. What's that? So that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. Lauren Green, uh, of course, was huge before that because of Ponderosa, but I don't remember a single thing he did after Battlestar. I don't know if he lived much longer after the show. I say he was right up towards the end there, I believe, but um, what do we got here? It's like his last credit was the Alamo in 87. Okay. So I guess he didn't last too much longer. He's probably one of those who come in for a day and do some dialogue, and that's about it. Um and then, of course, uh, Dirk Benedict, you know, he went on to A-Team, and then he did – he had the same problem. He could not get a lot of TV shows, uh, you know, starring him. He always had to show up on TV shows. He's the kind of guy you would see on Hollywood Squares or Win, Lose, or Draw, you know, that kind of stuff. That kind of sucks. Yeah. He's fun, though. I remember he was in I a wrestling he movie. Wasn't he in some wrestling movie where he was like a promoter? God, I remember it was from the director of Smoking the Bandit. A life man can't vote. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure on that one. I just 
shut my page down. Dang it. Uh, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I'll say before we go is um, created by Glenn A. Larson. He's going to be a name that pops up yeah. constantly in all of our shows because he did these high-concept shows that sometimes were huge failures, but there's so much fun to see what he would throw at the wall and see what stuck. Right. We love Larson. He did Alias Smith and Jones, which is a really fun western, uh, kind of a playoff of uh, Bush and Sundance. Uh, Six Million Dollar Man, he was involved with that. Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries. Um, Sword of Justice, which I've heard good things about, but I can't find an episode anywhere. Um, BJ and the Bear, Sheriff Lobo, a Magna P.I., Fall Guy, of course Knight Rider. And uh, yeah, speaking of revivals, that's where they got that wrong. The two revivals were so screwed up. You say Quincy? Because that was one of my favorite ones. Um, yeah, I guess he was a... I don't know if Quincy he was a producer or creator on that one, but Auto Man, Manimal, um, Cover Up. Holy shit, Cover Up. That's the show with uh, that John Eric Hexum got killed on. Cover Up? Yeah, do you remember Cover Up? It's the show after Voyagers ended that he did where he was like a, a, a male model, but he was actually like a spy. And they used that mm-hmm. cover of him being a model to solve all these cases. Whatever, it's like a high adventure TV show. But he killed himself by accident um, uh, about halfway through the first season, and they replaced him with someone else. And the show just flopped after that. Wow. Probably a lot of people knew what happened. Or like, it's hard to. Move yeah, on it, yeah, it has to be. Well, Some I think shows most shows. Do it. Other shows. Yeah. But when they die, it's really hard to come back from that. Yeah. A little bit. It's a little permanent. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, I meant like for for a show to recover from a character's death. I mean, one of the few shows that do it well was uh, yeah. Cheers. You know, when a coach dies and they replace him with Woody. Similar but different. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't feel so uh, like oh, you're just trying to cover up this actor with another actor, like a band aid. Right. Boy, I lost my voice the... a couple weeks ago and it hasn't come back. It's still really <clears throat> uh, soothing to the throat. Yes. Um. <laughs> The last thing I'll say is uh, he also did The Highwayman and Nightman, which is a show that me and my friend Josh are going to discuss um, based on a comic book from also, I think, Malibu. And uh, not as good. Nightman. Huh? Nightman. Yeah. Do you remember Nightman? It was 97 to 99 or 2000, and it had this guy he drove. I think it was was a new version of the PT Cruiser or something that he drove. And he had like a cyborg eye or something. I remember not being very good, but I'm interested in revisiting it. The Nightman song. It's always wait, that's enough. That's from Sunny that's always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, sunny Philadelphia, yeah. <laughs> All right, well yeah. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I just I see a picture of him here, yeah. I definitely remember that watching that one. It's <laughs> an awesome outfit. Yeah, it was. Um and, and oddly enough, it's a crossover with Manimal. Did it really? Yeah, there's an episode, I want to say it's in season two, where they bring on that guy that started Manimal. I can't remember his name for some reason. Um, and he plays the same character. And I thought, that's pretty rad. There's a, there's a Manimal universe for a TV show that lasted one season that everybody made fun of, that people still make fun of. He had high hopes. Yeah. But doesn't always doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. Is this but, show a test, too? Um, so the next episode we're going to do, we're going to do the Buck Rogers TV series. And then after that, I was thinking of something I think you and I discussed before. There's only been one TV series that I cannot find that I'm desperate to find. I mean, there's other shows I can't find, but I don't really care that much. I'm just curious. There was a TV show I saw a commercial for. While my old VHS tapes of V, 
uh, had an ep- uh, uh, a trailer for The Shadow Chasers, which was kind of like a Ghostbusters on a much lower budget TV show. And um, I couldn't find it for anything. Nobody even had bootlegs of it. And some kind soul loaded them up to YouTube. And they're pretty good quality. So I was thinking after Buck Rogers of, of doing that one, just out of curiosity to see what it's like. But Manimal would be a fun one, too, to talk about. Oh, yeah. It's a Manimal's one that you keep telling me about. I, I'm really looking forward to trying that one out, but I, I have not actually ever watched that on TV. Yeah, I had a VHS tape set aside for you, I think around 2001 or something like that, because they started doing marathons on Sci-Fi Channel. Instead of doing the right. normal different show every hour, for some reason during the week they started doing blocks. Like Monday was the Manimal block. Uh, we'll air the half the series, and the next Monday they'll do the other series, and they did that with, you know, like Starman and Otherworld and Universal Studios was notorious for being like the only studio that would put any money behind sci-fi. Uh, I mean, I would say 75% of the TV shows we watched during, probably from Battlestar Galactica up through Sequest, were all produced almost exclusively by Universal Studios, and. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, and then they launch Sci-Fi Channel, and they're like, we got all these shows we can burn off, you know? <laughs> and that's how I saw most of the stuff was in reruns. Doesn't bother me a bit. No. It kept me busy for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I, miss, I miss the days when Sci-Fi Channel would do stuff like that. Now it's all about, hey, what kind of crappy shark hybrid movie can we air and then just do some low-budget uh, um, reality series? Who wants to be a superhero? Ah, oh, ghosts, facts, or fiction? I'm like... Just pull out your old catalog, man. Let us let us watch some of those shows. <laughs> let's go back to basics, shall we? Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say uh, I, we're not plugged by this company at all, but um, there is a company called VEI Entertainment, and they're out of Canada, and they grab all these rare TV shows that nobody cares about. They put them out on DVD. And uh, they're kind of like the Shout Factory of Canada with fewer or less uh, special features. That's the only reason I have the entire Riptide series is because of them. But uh, they put out a six sci-fi series set recently with like six shows for 40 bucks. And one's Level 7, which is a UPN show. Deadly Games, which is another UPN show. The Powers of Matthew Starr, which was when we were little kids on uh, ABC, I think, the entire series of that. Uh, I want to say the Gemini Man. Mm, there's a couple others. I don't know why I lost what I was my train of thought. Um, what is the one with the monsters? I used to we used to watch it. It was on UPN where they were hunting each other. Give me a sec. Um, okay, so yeah, here VI. I don't know who runs them, where they get these shows, how they. I mean, okay, so they got and they're really really budget line costs. I mean, seven days they have a complete series. Like anybody care about seven days? I liked it. Um, he gets to go back in time seven days. Uh. You said Viper, the complete series, Highlanders on there for nothing, but yeah, this is this is what it is. It's it's Deadly Games, Level Nine, Super Force, Special Unit Two, The Immortal, and The Powers of Matthew Star, and all six of those. Which yes, they only lasted probably about 24 episodes. I think Super Force was on for a couple years, but all that for 40 bucks—that's pretty cheap. Now it's not gonna be the highest quality DVD, probably. They're probably gonna compress a little bit, but still, come on, that's awesome. Right, and it's Boxing Week sale. Yeah. Oh, Boxing Week is like basically <laughs> like Christmas for uh, Canada. Yeah. Matt Houston, the complete series, twenty four dollars. Nero Wolf. I know you're a big fan of Nero Wolf. Twenty four ninety nine. Oh yeah. In Search yeah. of twenty bucks. The complete series of In Search of twenty bucks. That's pretty rad. The complete series. Yeah. Oh, with <laughs> Leonard. Nemo. Oh, that's what that was. Have you ever seen an incomplete series available? 
Matt Houston's on here. Huh. Yeah, they'll say they'll say stuff really like the collection. Like when I bought Wise Guy, it's just called the collection because it's missing, I think, thirteen episodes or something like that. And so they can't call it the complete collection. They're not going to say the incomplete collection. But just this uh, the collection. Right. Best they can come up with at least. It's a collection, so. Yeah. All <laughs> right. They're right. So my puppy, if you can hear in the background, she's getting excitable. Uh, time to wrap up this episode. So check us out on Facebook under Next Planet Over. It's a group we set up for all sorts of sci-fi, fantasy, horror, TV show. I might add movies to that because I feel like TV series is limited a bit. All right, Zoe. <laughs> and uh, anything you want to say before we go? Well, just uh, <laughs> actually, I have nothing. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Can you hear her? This is the creativity of my brain right now. What I got sad. nothing when I'm on the spot. That's okay. She's such a sad little girl. She's all right. Uh, Take that... care, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Have a good night and be excellent to each other. From Stephen King, the master of suspense. His all time bestseller. Containment breach! You've had a major containment breach! Use the manual gate override, Cassius! Do it now! Cassius! You have to close the gate! A deadly virus released by a government mistake. A frantic military willing to stop at nothing to cover up the terrible truth. The so called super flu does not exist. What did you do? What did you people do? As the plague sweeps out of control, a nation erupts, society crumbles, the end is here. The monster's here! The darkness here! Now, all that remains, the demon, the prophet, and those chosen to survive. Drawn by dreams of an old woman. Be coming along to see me, won't you, Mary? The chosen ones stream to Colorado to find their dreams are real. Help us to be true, dear Lord. Help us to stay. In Las Vegas, an army of darkness assembles, controlled by dreams of their leader, Randall Flagg. Go for it. Jabbar, Ruby D, and Jamie Sheridan. Stephen King's The Stand. Hey everybody, it's Next Planet Over, the podcast devoted to sci-fi, fantasy, and horror TV shows. I'm your host, Michael, and Mindy's on the other side joining me for another episode where we discuss a Stephen King miniseries. Maybe we should just keep doing that because I have a whole collection. Dude, that's right. You got the uh, the collection with the Paramount movies and the miniseries. What miniseries did you get on there? I forget which ones, but there was a whole bunch I hadn't seen before. So uh, I can tell you later when I look at it. Uh, the one Langoliers. I, yeah, the Langoliers. I, you know what? 
almost chronological order. We, we did skip the stand. No, I'm sorry, the stand. We're doing the stand. Hey, everybody, we're doing the stand. Um, <laughs> uh, we just skipped it. It is a weird one because they remade it into something yeah. better. Now, the first half of it is phenomenal. The second half of it is garbage. I think it's so amazing that you get all these Emmy-winning actors, and they're terrible. They're, like, trying to out-ham each other. Um, I think that might have something to do with the 90s. Maybe. Um, and Just in general. Then the next one... <laughs> What, is this the next one after it? I feel like there was a get. Oh no, the Golden Years, which is sort of a mini series in the fact that it wasn't little, oh, it I wasn't think, movies. It was. I um, think that one might scene. be in the collection too. Um, I'll just look at it later and tell okay, you. I'm not yeah. sure. There's one that I didn't like. That's the one with the alien invasion with Jimmy Smiths. What's that one called? I don't know. There's a lot of. Um, I realize that there's a lot of Stephen King stuff I haven't seen. Tommy Knockers. I'm I looking thought right I here. had. Yeah. I think I thought I had seen more than I really have, you know. Yeah, um, I, I remember liking Rose Red quite a bit. I do like I did like Rose Red. Yes, Desperation That's not was my one. Collection. We we both got so angry, and I was listening to a, a podcast with Henry Thomas, um, and with the director of this miniseries, Mick Garris, and he was talking like, "Well, in Desperation, we wanted to throw everybody for a loop. You think you're going to lead." You know, mm-hmm. follow Henry Thomas through the whole thing, and then he dies in the first 15 minutes. Spo- sorry, spoilers. And we were so upset. <laughs> I don't think I even I, finished I think it. I might have. I think I might have blocked that one out because I don't really remember that that movie. Yeah. But that being said, how many years ago did we watch it? I mean, I didn't remember that much about this movie, this series either. Now, this one I've seen quite a bit, and I had watched it when I was at your house. You still had it on VHS, shockingly, in 2014. I just found it in your garage. Really? Yeah, it's buried down there somewhere, unless you got rid of it. Um, I have I have the... Uh, I still have it. Now, this was released on video by Republic Pictures. And Republic Pictures went out of business somewhere in the late 90s. So a big chunk of their catalog has just been floating around. But Lion, or no, Artisan, God, it's so confusing. Artisan put it out on DVD just before everything went to crap for both companies. So I have like the full-fledged, uncut version with the commentary by the cast. And is, is this the version that you had, like all four parts? Um... It's broken up in four episodes like it originally aired. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, because there is a truncated version of this where they took out, I think, an hour or more to compress it. Because when it was on VHS, it was a very large set. So, Mm -hmm. you know, back then they were recorded with two movies, uh, which is an hour and a half each, um, per tape. But then, like, as Republic Pictures is going out of business, they're desperate for cash. They crushed it down into some, like, really long tape. You know, the longer it goes, the worse the quality. But they also cut out yes. footage. Well, I watched, definitely sat through six hours of this movie. Okay. That's how much, how long the original one was, right? Uh, I believe, uh, once, yeah, it's six hours. Yeah. The, um, okay. this is probably the height of uh, his Stephen King fever. And they put a ton of money into this. I mean, it doesn't seem like much now, but back then, a $20 million miniseries was a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. And At the time, it seemed pretty cool. Yeah. Did you not like it this time around? Um, it, had, it, had some, it had some issues with it. There's a couple things that bug me. Um, I think that Molly Ringwald is horribly miscast. It was painful watching mm-hmm. her. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the thing is, 
I mean, when it was, I, I watched it when it was originally on, right? We watched it when it came on TV in 1994. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen it since then. Oh, okay. See, I've seen it like four or five times since then. See, so I think that's the difference for me. It's like, you know, when you revisit things you haven't seen since you were a kid, everything seems kind of different. Yeah. See, I didn't have those long gaps when I, I watched it. So it didn't seem mm-hmm. like, because, okay, so the CGI is shit and they reuse it over and over it's and over. Terrible. Like, oof, uh-huh. God, that looks bad. The special effects are terrible, and a lot of the dialogue is really, really cheesy. Just so awkward. There's okay. So here's the good stuff. Um, I remember being heartbroken. This is spoiler felt, so let's just go with this. Heartbroken when just Rob Lowe ahead. was taken out three quarters of the way through, like just devastated because mm-hmm. they had to find an actor who was very um, empathetic. Not in that yeah. we would connect through him because he's a very giving person, but he's also not going to be the kind of person who just lets people walk all over him because there's a couple of moments where he has to be very strong. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you just gut it. And you're like, what? What the hell? I don't think Gary Sinise yeah. is anywhere nearly as compelling as Rob Lowe was. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there's something about him, about Rob Lowe, or at least about his character that was very obviously express very expressive and emotional um without you know having what 10 10 lines in the whole movie and that was only in the dream sequences i mean you have to be a pretty good actor to convey that much with no dialogue and it's it's funny this weird crossroads where a lot of these actors were on the down end of their career and a lot of them were about to break Uh through i mean this was Gary Sinise's, I think, second major role he had done of Mice and Men, for the most part, he had been known for doing either directorial work or stage play stuff. And this just, like, broke him right. out. And then, what, six months later is when we had Forrest Gump? Maybe not even that long. Oh, I don't, I don't know how close it was, but I definitely remember thinking that I recognized a lot of the people, you know, originally when I watched it, when it first came out. Yeah. I recognized a lot of the people except for him. Um, Molly Ringwald had kind of disappeared for a little while. I think after Betsy's wedding, this is like her first project. So it was, I don't know if it was meant for a comeback. Um, it didn't really work for her though. It it seemed like it kind of stalled out. Yeah, it did seem kind of, you're right, miscast and awkward. There was was a lot of awkwardness in this movie. I think, I think Jamie Sheridan is amazing as Randall Flagg. Now, is Randall Flagg the same character that Matthew McConaughey plays in uh, The Dark Tower? Am I wrong? Oh, I'm not sure. They have similar, they're a little bit similar, but I don't remember. Oh, man, I really didn't like The Dark Tower, so. Yeah, that movie's pretty awful. I'm looking it up right now. I, I'm, I'm probably wrong. No, his name's, instead his character's name is Walter, so. Oh, okay. So I, I thought it was Randall so. Flagg in that one, too. Now, I thought Jamie Sheridan was really good, but that, that mullet is definitely of 1994. <laughs> um, yeah, his his mullet and um, it was a little erratic, but I guess that's what you expect from, like, a, you know, eccentric leader. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, he's supposed to be the embodiment of Satan, and... No, I know. Yeah, he's just he's emotionally damaged, he's fragile, and he has very little patience, and he has to hide behind that human shell. And it's almost appropriate the human shell that he thinks is going to be awesome is a fucking douchebag. <laughs> yeah, like, 
his weird swagger and the yeah. like, y'all the, see Skinner uh, this weekend. Really, <laughs> the the really really dorky song he sings at like the last episode and oh god it was it was weird it got real weird speaking of songs i cannot think of don't fear the reaper without thinking of this miniseries mm-hmm. it was a really you good know week. what's weird is that i know that he did a lot of stuff before this and after this but the only thing i can i can think of him is i think that he was in um made for tv movie where he played one of elizabeth taylor's husband's Okay, that's weird. And that's I, all I can remember. I feel like he was in um, some detective lawyer show that was critically acclaimed. Shannon's Deal. Shannon's Deal, that's it. It was created by um, oh, John Sayles. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Is that it? I was it called it. Shannon's Deal? It was, there was a TV movie. Was there? Oh, and then a TV show. You're right. I see it now. Yeah, it got a lot of critical acclaim. Just people didn't watch it, which uh, is a shame. And, and I think now he's on one of those Law & Order, CSI, NCIS, you know, one of those procedurals. <laughs> I didn't realize that he played uh, Oliver Queen's father on Arrow. Oh shit, Arrow. that's right. I've totally forgot about I that. I never, I never put that together somehow. That's weird. This um, oh, this well. miniseries is one of the few where um, it doesn't feel like it's shot in California. You know, it, a lot of these uh, movies and TV shows around this area always look like they're on a back lot in California. But they clearly went around the country. It looks like Maine. It looks yeah. like Colorado. It looks like Vegas. I mean, they did a really good I agree. job. Yeah, I was thinking about all those Vegas scenes and how they must have filmed in like you know the old the old section of um, Las Vegas. Right. What does that call it? It's, um, it's with the one with the um, the Fremont District, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's what it's called. I don't know. It's the one where um, I went uh, but... where me and Scott went. Uh, uh, no, yes. That thing I, where you hook yourself up. What the hell is that called? Besides, oh, ziplining. Ziplining. Thank you. I is was like, I, I pee my pants as I go flying by. I still can't believe they're I not making more glasses. So dumb. I thought you were gonna say about eating at that heart attack burger place. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, can I have the quadruple bypass? I'm not gonna leave here. This is where I die. <laughs> anyway, I just was thinking how they were so lucky that they filmed it before they towards it you know they i mean they were got rid of a lot of the, those hotels and right well so and, much and the signs that. the signs they got rid of and put in right. uh the that sky view thing with the you know we watched the movies playing the rock videos or whatever that's yes. called the fremont experience yes. yes well they also i mean i hope they kept most of that stuff in the neon museum uh-huh. that you can visit but anyway Besides the point, I was just thinking, oh, that's really cool. It's it's at least it's preserved in a movie. You know the scene where they shoot it at Ray Walston's uh, country home. I, that was so gorgeous. I never wanted them to leave. I know. Why did they leave? They shouldn't have left. It would have. So here's the um, here's the comment from Scott after we finished the last episode this morning. He said. This was the biggest waste of six hours of my whole life. Nothing happened in this stupid movie. <laughs> wow. Okay, now as a younger man, I was very disappointed in something. Now, I love the first three quarters. Now, this uh-huh. was only my imagination getting away with me. Because in eighth grade, uh, one of my uh, 
cohorts is reading the stand. Oddly enough, from a guy who I didn't even know knew how to read. Until that moment, I thought he was illiterate because he would never do his homework. He never paid attention. But he's sitting there reading the stand, and it's the thickest, massive book I've ever seen. I, I don't know if there's ever been a fiction novel. Is there a fiction novel that's bigger than the stand? I don't know. Oh, I'm. It's. I'm sure there's a couple that rival it. I mean, I know it's gigantic, which is part of the reason why I've never read it. Yeah, same here. But um, but um, there's a few that probably rival it. But I remember. But it is massive. It, and on the cover, it has you know like these two guys going at it. And I'm like, what is this about? And he goes, you ever read Lord of the Rings? They go, no. And he goes, it's kind of like that, where it's this massive army of the uh, good and evil going against each other, you know? Mm, and I'm mm, like, really? Yeah. That sounds awesome. They watch the movie. And I'm like, where, where's the battle? It's it's over? We're, I don't understand what just happened. What a huge disappointment. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, I am completely okay. In fact, it makes a lot more sense because it's not about this mi- massive visual war. If... You go with the way that, you know, if you're a religious person, God has a plan for everything. I mean, this is what it's about. It really is about God. And to, to ignore yeah, that is it's ridiculous. it's about faith, yeah. Yeah, and, and he set up things in a certain pattern, and it worked out for the best. If they went to war, there'd be so few people that survived. But um, everything, like killing Rob Lowe off by having the bomb, whatever, you know, it gets them out of the, most of them out of the house, and, you know, it eliminates that, and then... Like, Satan gets rid of Corrin Nemec's character once he's done with him, because he has no use for him, because he wants Nadine. And so does Corrin Nemec's character wants Nadine. But, so he can't have that, so he gets rid of him. So everything works out. He has these patterns. And in order for all the bad guys to get together in downtown Vegas, for the bomb to go off and finally to wipe out evil, they had to sacrifice themselves um, in, that, you know, in that horrible fashion. And then the hand of God comes down and turns, mm-hmm. you know, puts out, you know, and the trash can man has to be, it's all these pieces that go together. So for it to be a massive action piece wouldn't make any sense now. Yeah. So why? Uh, yeah. I why, mean, why it's not you, a, it would kind of, it would defeat the purpose of like the whole point of the book to have some, like have them, you know, actually fight back. Right. That's kind of the whole point. It's about, you know, giving himself up. Um, I don't know. There's a weird piece in it all, and, and I, as a grown-up, I, I appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, I can see that. Um, oh, I was gonna say, I really enjoyed some of the. Okay, some of the things that I really enjoyed was the Stephen King cameo. <laughs> They're always great. And then I, and then I also was like, oh wait, isn't that Sam Raimi? So there's that Sam is, Raimi cameo in the last. It is in the last episode, and then as. As usual for me, I really enjoyed the whole, just the whole gamut of Matt Frewer. Every time he was on this, you know, you know, on the TV, I was like, yeah, he's always just so entertaining to watch, you know? Now think about his performance. 90% of it, 90% covered in horribly suffocating makeup and never backed down for a second in his performance. It's astonishing he should have got an emmy nomination for it. my jaw was on the i totally forgot how great it was it's just so like insane but somehow believable <laughs> me and ron used to run around going bumsy bum all for you it's all for you bumsy bum <laughs> yeah he's insane but that's why the man uh still working consistent consistently to this day yeah. you know uh, and I remember this was kind of like a boost for him because he had come off of 
Uh, I know Dr. Doctor had come out and that had got canceled. And I think he was in a TV show with Jennifer Love Hewitt called Shaky Ground. And it just seemed like he was kind Ooh. of in the void there. And then after doing um, The Stand is when he got Senior Trip, National Lampoon Senior Trip. He did Lawnmower Man 2. And then he was in another Mick Garris production uh, called Quicksilver Highway, which I believe is an adaption of Clive Barker and Stephen King for Fox. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> um, I was just looking it up, and he has, like, 137 credits. <laughs> he is a Canadian national treasure, honestly. Yeah, and, you know, I was watching recently... Um, sorry, what did I watch again that he was in? Dawn of the Dead. Oh, right, right, yeah. I had... I had forgotten that he was in Dawn of the Dead. And I knew that I really, really liked that movie. It's one of the few, like, horror movies that I really like. Uh-huh. But I, wa- I watched it watched it again after not seeing it for quite some time. And I was like, oh, dang, this movie is still so good. And they had such a good cast. And it was just so interesting. And I was so happy to see him in it. But it wasn't that wasn't... Mick Garris didn't have anything to do with Dawn of the Dead, did he? No. Um, actually, I don't even know what Mick Garris is directing these days. He seems to be really heavily involved in like anthology television. Um, oh, I'm gonna, well, actually, I'm gonna yeah. look right now. Now, I know his breakthrough. Um, he was working as a writer on uh, Amazing Stories, and he was Stephen King's like protege, mm-hmm. and he would guide the show. Why can't I find Mick Garris here? Yeah, I remember. I remember that about him too. And then he did. Oh, well, you know actually, this cost way more than I thought it did. This cost thirty million dollars. That was a lot of money back in '94. Whoa! You know that he was like he he was the uh, had the or, original story for Hocus Pocus or something. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, yeah, I think he went from Amazing Stories to Critters Two. Then. Uh, oh, it says. He says he also did Batteries Not Included. I mean, I really liked that movie when I was a kid. That's that actually started off as an Amazing Stories. Uh, episode oh, and they decided to expand upon it and then he did uh psycho four with he did with henry thomas and he built a relationship with him there then i want to say sleepwalkers was the next one and then we go into was it henry, was henry thomas and sleepwalkers also no no that's the one with the cat oh. people um that's where oh, he started yeah, working with ron perlman movie. and i think it goes the stand then he did the shining with uh steven weber which is far superior to the original shining which that is blasphemy to most people, but I think Kubrick is a cold, disconnected director who didn't understand Stephen King's work at all, and uh, Mick Garris hmm. totally gets it, and man, Stephen Weber gives a hell of a performance. He really has done a... T- he is very, very connected to Stephen King. He's done a lot of Stephen King stuff. Yeah, and his podcast is really good, except I'm- something bugs me about it, is uh, the intro says... Uh, the guests come on and spill their guts literally to Mick Garris. And I'm like, no, that's not, you can't, you're not literally spilling your guts. You actually have to take a knife, cut your guts open, let them yeah. spill out. And that's it's just weird. driving, I hate it. And, uh, you know, it's like literal manipulation. Have you seen this one called Quicksilver Highway with Christopher Lloyd and Matt Brewer? That's, I, 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 I don't think I've no, ever I, heard of I it. I just said that like five minutes ago, and you go, oh, interesting. I guess you didn't hear me say the name. Oh, you probably did. I'm sorry. It's, there's a lot to keep up with. It is See, a lot. There's so many. There's so many. Um, okay, I will say this. The bullet, I, I, 
we're from we're from Indiana, and Trash Can Man blows up a refinery in Powtonville, Indiana. That is not a thing. That's not a place. That's completely made up. <laughs> I did rem- I did think that was interesting because this flashback from when he was a kid, he was being tormented by a bully, and they were saying that they were gonna like what they say they're gonna send him to the loony bin in Terre Haute or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, was it weird seeing Kareem Abdul Jabbar in this? Can Man. A little bit. I totally. I didn't remember him doing that. Well, he doesn't normally act. But he, he. I think he writes children's books now. No kidding. He's really smart. I'm pretty he writes sure he has a, a pretty. Yeah. Good. I'm trying to see how many acting credits he has. He has 32. Oh wow! I didn't expect that. Well, you know, his big breakthrough was Airplane, but um, it's it's funny. There's a there's a yeah. scene in Game of Death at the very end of it which is a patched-together Bruce Lee movie, where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar does kung fu on Bruce Lee, and it's crazy watching because he has these massive legs that are just flipping and flying all over the place. You're like, I don't know what I'm seeing. This is crazy. This is not a normal human movement. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, you know, most of his credits, he um, is playing himself, but, uh, oh. but that's okay. Another thing that I would repeat from this miniseries is M-O-N spells, whatever, you know, that would come after that. I know. You know, that was, while watching this movie, I thought, oh my gosh, there's so many things that they could not get away with now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Shawnee Smith calling them like... Pretty... Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much every interaction with his character... I don't remember that actor's name. Do you know what his name is? Well, I'm cheating a little bit. I knew it was, like, I don't know how to say it correctly, but Bill Fagerback? Fagerback? But Coach. He's from Coach. Yeah, I mean, he's like the voice of Patrick on SpongeBob SquarePants. (laughs) I knew that, but I don't watch. I always feel like a fraud if I mention stuff like that, and I haven't seen it. I don't really watch it either, but... I think Scott mentioned it when we were watching it. And also, he was Marshall's dad on How I Met Your Mother. So he's still acting, you know, now. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I definitely remember. Wasn't he on Coach at the time that this movie came out? I think, yeah, yeah, because Coach was on. I, I can't believe it was on for, like, nine seasons. For I didn't a long remember time. That. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, most of the interactions, most of his scenes... Like, they would have to change everything now yeah. if they made this movie now. It was just so, just so awful and inappropriate and cruel and, <laughs> well, of course, would be deemed uh, not acceptable. But but the thing times. is, is that it's done by villainous characters. The people who treat him terribly for the most part. Same thing for um, Rob Lowe's character, that one guy. You know, he's the bad guy in everything. Uh, 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 Patrick Kilpatrick. Um, in the beginning, you know, he just treats them like shit based on just like, the fact that he's deaf. And they all call, always call him deaf and dumb. And at no point is he dumb. He clearly points out that he knows how to, he can read lips, that he can spell his stuff out, you know, and write it down. He's not dumb. He just can't hear and he cannot talk. He's a deaf mute. There's yeah. a difference. Well, people, you know, they don't bother to, to try to understand those things you know, figure out the things they don't understand. And so they just are mean about it. Yeah. Um, there's one actor in this who had a major, uh, major role in it. And I've never seen him since. And it's, uh, Adam Stork is Larry and he's a musician. Oh, yeah. And, and here's the interesting thing with his character. 
is, first off, his song is fucking terrible. And for me to believe that it would be a top 10 hit, um, it should have been a good song. <laughs> but um, you don't know where his character or um, uh, Laura San Giacomo's character are going to go. They're the two neutrals. And because mm -hmm. you have like Molly Ringwald and Rob Lowe are the good. And then you have uh, Miguel Ferrer and that guy who's the principal on uh, Growing Pains, I can't remember his name. You know, th those guys, even Shawnee Smith, they're obvious bad. But then you go through most of the movie not knowing which direction that Laura San, San Giacomo's character and Adam Stork, uh, sorry, Nadine and Larry are going to go. And that was an interesting dichotomy because Larry starts off as kind of a dick. And you think that uh, mm -hmm. Nadine is going to be, you know, the good one. And then they just, through their mental journey i guess is when they switch places i think she was just she was just a mess because i think she was kind of fighting it the whole time yeah. what she wanted to be and what that what you know he wanted her to be and i mean even to the bitter end you know she was really really messed up right and i have to say man that last episode there was a lot of death Oof, yeah clean up shop i guess it <laughs> I guess it was like I had forgotten that that it that it was so much like oh wow oh wow oh this I forgot about this oh man why is Miguel Ferrer always seemed like a bad guy yeah that's what I was thinking the whole time yeah I don't know if he's ever even been a is good he guy ever maybe maybe in TV wasn't he a TV know. show called like The Profiler or something like that or where he was a good guy I don't know I can't remember but um, he just yeah. always seems angry <laughs> yeah well it pays the bills so hey he keeps working now the one that got me really excited about watching all this yes i was a stephen king fan but when i found out Corey nemick was going to be in this i got super excited I know. and i really thought this was going to like turn his career around because you know parker lewis had ended the year before and it was always kind of a cult show and everything that really broke out and yes he did drop zone and operation uh dumbo drop and then nothing, drop. <laughs> nothing, just nothing. He had, you know, a Paramount movie, a Disney movie, nothing. Just straight to video garbage. I think, I think right after Dumbo Drop, he was in a pilot for a TV show called Rollerblade Squad or something like that. Oh wow, poor guy. Yeah, he Man, was. We he was, he was he really, really loved that show. Yeah, he was crippled in a wheelchair, and he's guiding this team. I think it was called Blade Squad, and the bad guy was Scott Farkas yeah. from Christmas Story. <laughs> I'm trying to find the information because I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I do remember being super excited because we really love Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Um, but to be, yeah. yeah. To be fair, though, he is the only one that still acts. I mean, I don't I don't think anybody else from that show is around. Oh, no, 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 no that's not true. Abraham Van Ruby, we see him every once in a while. Oh, I feel like I just saw him on something super recently, too. But I can't remember what it is right now. Yeah. Yeah, he has tons of acting credits and, like, a lot of really recent stuff, tons in 2016, 17, 2018, a ton of upcoming stuff. Well, good for him. No, going back to the whole uh, miniseries itself, this feels like one of the last great epic miniseries where it had this massive cast of great names um, and an up and coming, you know, up and coming kind of people, you know, uh, lots of locations, big epic story. After this, it just feels like everything got taken over by CGI, and it just looks cheap. The, all those Hallmark miniseries, you know, like the Odyssey and uh, Alice in Wonderland and Gulliver's Travels. Oh, stuff like I know that. those. Those there are some that are actually really good, but they 
really come off. They don't give a great first impression, in my opinion. No. The only one that I can think of that had this kind of epic quality to it was uh, Taken. Oh, that's an excellent point. And I think that had something to do with the fact that wasn't Steven Spielberg involved with that, and it was on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, I feel like that's where all the miniseries go now is cable. Well... I'm trying to remember. There's a Hallmark one. There's a Hallmark one that we really liked. At least I think it was a Hallmark channel. It was called The Tenth Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Did that was pretty good. That? I haven't seen that in forever, though. I think, it, it, um, I think we have it on DVD, but it was also on Amazon Prime at one point. Oh, okay. And it's like seven hours long, and but it's so entertaining. There's so many good people. Who, like John Larroquette is so good. Ed O'Neill is so good. Rutger Howard. Like, there really is. Um, but what year was that from? 2000. Okay. I mean, I do think that you're, I do think you're right, though, that there are. Um, they always look like they're shot in know, Canada on digital video with low end special effects. Whereas, now think about the ones before that's like North and South and Roots. Um, I'm kind of a miniseries aficionado, so I've seen quite a few of them, and it just seemed like they had a whole different feel before, you know, the whole CGI mm -hmm. wave. Even Langoliers looks a little rough because it was early CGI, and Bronson Pinchot was chewing the fucking scenery. That movie looks crazy. I've only seen part of it, and I was like, what am I watching? Um, but that is one I do want to attempt. Uh, yeah, Rose Red, I think, was the last great Stephen King miniseries. I, I see those things yeah, popping here and there. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Uh, what's the one after that? Diary I mean, of uh, Ellen Rimbauer was pretty good. Um, yeah, nothing after um, that. I haven't seen that one. Nightmares and Dreamscapes was one that I was thing. frustrated with. Like, there'd be one great one, one bad one. Um, most of the miniseries that I th I'm looking at like a kind of a list of the best ones. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of them are, I don't know, Band of Brothers in 2001, but wasn't that like HBO? Yeah. The sequel is um, horrifying. The, the stuff in Nightmares, I couldn't even finish it. Oh, no, I don't think um, Top of the Lake, but that was like special circumstance. I mean, I think that was sort of newer. Um, did you ever watch 11, 22, 63? Uh, you know what? That was great. Probably... I really liked that, but that seemed like but... where the miniseries should be going. I, I'm shocked that Netflix hasn't bothered to do any miniseries. So this is Hulu, right? That one was on Hulu. So, it was. Um, and I think I started watching a one that was, that's new. Um, a new one that's a Stephen King one. What's it called? Castle uh, Rock? I'll think of it in a second. Castle Rock. So it's, like, not actually from a book, but it's part of, like, I mean, it's in his universe or whatever. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you, I know, I know you, exactly what you're talking about. Never mind, I'm being stupid. Yes, of course I know what you're talking about. No, it's okay. Great. It's not, it's just a lot, isn't Castle Rock is, like, the setting for a lot of his stories Correct. or something? Yeah. I don't know. So, anyway. Oh, I liked The Tin Man. That was from 2007, but that was yeah. also, I think, the Sci-Fi Channel. So we're kind of watering off the range a little bit. But, yeah, um, yes, I, I say Sorry. definitely check it out. I really enjoyed it. Um, sadly, I, I wish that Scott had liked it. Uh, what was his uh, – did he was just bored? I think that really it was probably what you were saying, how, you know, you enjoyed the first three episodes and then the last one you're expecting some epic thing and then 
it kind of feels like not that much happens, even though it's all, it's a lot more in, it's internal, the, the, the struggle and the, the, the fight, you know, is more internal right. and, uh, whatever faith-based and, you know, psychological than, than physical. And I think that that's probably what his issue really was. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure what the next thing that we're going to do. Um, I know that over with my other co-host that we're going to discuss the original Battlestar Galactica, which everybody says is cheesy, hokey Ooh. crap. And I, I, I believed them until I rewatched it. And I was like, no, this is actually serious, dead serious and fantastic. But also, even if it was cheesy, hokey crap, that doesn't mean you can't still enjoy it. No, I mean, there's some stuff where I know it's tongue-in-cheek, and I'm just like, whatever, I'll take my Gilligan's Island. I don't give a shit if they get off this island or not. <laughs> I'll take my Starship Troopers. <laughs> but, um, what is another one that, um, Knight Rider, <laughs> Knight Rider is just it's ridiculous. I know people love that, but I was like, uh... But I think it's cool that there's a connection between Knight Rider and Battlestar Galactica and the fact that they use that little rotating thing in the Battlestar uh, vision, you know, the, the Cylons vision, oh. and they, they put it in the car. I thought that oh, was cool. Oh, sure. Yeah. I see. And that's that how the cool. Cylons Anyway, start. I agree. I, I think that the stand is worth watching. It has a little, you know, there's a struggle at times with some cheesy dialogue and some, you know... Not great special effects, but this came out in 1994. What do you expect? Yeah, it was Just TV. Just take it for like what it is and some good acting and a crazy story. <laughs> yeah, if they, I know that Ben Affleck like, tried to do it. He tried to adapt it a few years ago when he was red hot after Argo. And he just couldn't mm, piece it together. They talked about doing those two movies and one super long movie. And I think the best way to do it if you're going to remake it is there's four pieces Make a small season, like eight episodes for each story. So like the first, uh, like say the first hour and a half of the movie of the disease breaking out, that's the first season. Mm -hmm. Second season is dealing with the death. The third is them getting together in the group. And then fourth is the final showdown. Yeah. You know, like just uh, yeah, a total a of like 24 episodes. Like many, many seasons on Netflix. Yeah, and I'm sure they cut stuff out of the book that they could put into the show because... Like, we walk into episode three, and all of a sudden you find Gary Sneeze on the ground trying to save someone's life. You're like, what the hell just happened? Did I miss something? Did I skip an episode? <laughs> oh, yeah. And the whole, t like, the him and Molly Ringwald character getting together yeah. kind of happened behind the scene, too. Because we actually thought we had missed something, and we went back, and we're like, wait, when did this happen? Well, Larry got married, and I don't remember any of that all of a sudden. So I feel like yeah. they, they could expand upon it. Yeah. There's probably stuff that was cut out of uh, the book. Well, I mean, the book is like a thousand pages or something. Yeah. There's still, even though they made a six-hour movie, there still had to be tons of stuff that was cut out. Right. And then, you know, there's expanded edition they put out like on its anniversary, which is like another 150 pages or something like that. So that's, well, that's two I think, episodes. I think the, the original version was like 800 and something pages. Uh -huh. And the one that they released, the anniversary edition, was like the original uncut version. Gosh, okay. So it's like... Like 1,100 pages or something. All right. So that is it for us here at Next Planet Over. Check us out on Facebook. Um, I guess that's it. Have a good night. That's it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, you know what? Hold on. Before we go, there is one thing I want to say. I forgot about this until I was okay. ready to hit. I was ready to hit stop. There's something that really okay. bothered me is the fact that they had the rat man. And I'm like, wait, you already have the trash can man. Then you're going to add the rat man. And the rat man's a completely useless character. 
And I'll, but I did find it amusing. I was like, "That's all right. The Rat Man forgives you this time." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was very, uh, very odd. It's, it's yeah, the pause. I, thought, I kind of forgives you on this time. <laughs> but I just kept thinking of when when um, John Voight and Anaconda was like, "Snakes don't bite." Oh, they don't. Oh, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was it. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. That's right. You never know, man. All right, everybody. Have a good night.